Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebri. And my name is Jessica Tresero. And this week, we have special returning guest, Dr. Amber Jones. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I am great. I'm so happy to be here again. Um, I was also super stoked when you suggested that we do Avatar and Korra because, one, I loved uh, doing the Wiz with you last time, and you're so wonderful and bring just so much energy and such a great perspective on this. And then also, like, who here on this call does not like Korra and Avatar? Like, this this is just incredible. So, like, we were all talking before we got on, uh, we started officially recording. And it was honestly, once you start talking, it's really hard to stop. So we had to stop <laughs> mid-sentence because we're like, no, 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 we're going to blow all this before the yeah. pod. <laughs> but, um, but no, uh, there's a lot to say about both of these shows. I'm oh, yeah. so stoked. Me too. Yes. So, so Amber, what is your history with the world of Avatar and Aang and Korra? Well, picture me. I am in the, I just finished the first year of graduate school. I moved to a new apartment after having a super weird first year with like three roommates. Um, But this was my first solo apartment, just me. I had just moved in my stuff and like literally all I had like in the right place in my apartment was my desk and my laptop. And um, I, (laughs) another, a part of this history is also that I am on Eric's Netflix account and have been (laughs) since college. Like I'm just, I'm part of the family. Yes. (laughs) Grandfathered in. (laughs) So like, so all I have is my bed, my desk, (laughs) My laptop with my Netflix subscription that I still, I haven't even like used all that much. Yeah. Um, But Eric was like, just whatever, just use mine. (laughs) I was like, okay. Um, And I had nothing else. So I was like, all right, I'll use it. Um, And now mind you, my older brother had been telling me for years. He was like, oh yeah, have you heard of that show Avatar Last Airbender? And, like, he had told me specifically, like, people consider it one of the best cartoons ever made. And I was always like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, So I had ignored him saying that quite a few times. But here I am, nothing to do. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll watch this. It was on Netflix at the time. And, of course, like, I start and immediately get it. And I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he meant. I was like, this is that show that he told me was really good. (laughs) And so, like, watched it all straight through, had to suffer through, like, but that's it? Like, what is happening (laughs) next? And all of the intrigue leading up to Korra. Like, I remember reading, like, a tiny little blurb that came out, like, years before like production was finished on Cora that was like talking about one of the concepts they were coming up with for it. And I was like reading it. I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God, it's happening. They're going to make it again. So then of course, when Cora uh, came on, like 
Uh, at that point, like me and Eric definitely <laughs> were the two that were on it watching Cora yeah. and on bated breath for like every part of Cora, like at first not liking Cora when we were only getting like one season and being like, what was the point of that? Oh um, yeah. And then seeing like the beautiful things that they took the story to once they got like a little bit of room and assurance. Um, and so like, it just became something so important where even I knew then um, I tell people that I'm kind of like a Netflix therapist <laughs> where like I know it like the back of my hand like especially with Avatar like my friend would be like oh my god I'm having this problem I'm so upset about this and I'm like you need season two episode 18. <laughs> oh dang like that's that amazing. And, the, <laughs> and my friends who are just as crazy as I um, will like go do it and be like you were right. So you're like the Uncle so, Iroh of that friend yeah, group. Yeah, you're like, this is exactly what you need right now. I got um, you. <laughs> yeah, and like there'll be times. <laughs> yeah, where we, like my friend will call me and be like, I need to unblock my chakras. I'll be like, all right, press play. <laughs> yeah, we're ready. Um, <laughs> so it's safe to say that you're an Avatar universe expert. Yes. Yes. I would say so. Um, well, Je what's Jess, your yeah, what? Oh, I was going to ask you what yours is. <gasps> oh, my God. Okay. You go first. Okay. My experience is at Eric's recommendation, I started watching Avatar. Um, I think it was during the pandemic, but I was like watching it and I was like, oh, same reaction, Amber. I was like, oh, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, this is one of the greatest things ever. And I was like, sure, like, cool. And like, I love, I love that for you. Like, I love that. That's <laughs> But like also like, you know, it I wasn't sure if I had missed it because like it was so nostalgic for so many people and I missed it w when it was on air that like, you know, you go back sometimes or like you have this love for something and I was just like, I don't like, you know, I don't know. And then Eric always has excellent recommendations. So I was like, okay. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'm watching this. Okay, th this is it, you know, and same and just like, you know, binging, what the hell else am I doing? So binge watch Avatar, went straight into Korra. And so I watched it and I was like, these are both incredible. These are both great. Um, and then upon rewatching for this, like we had a few specific episodes that um, that we all watched um, on this list. But um, while I was working, I just kind of like had it on in the background, just going because, you know, I'd already seen it before. I did like a season and a half of Avatar and a season and a half of Korra and um it's it's still just so good and so incredible and i feel like because i have the knowledge of what happened in cora like avatar now is like oh cool and then rewatching avatar and then going back into cora with that context it's like they kind of like are cyclical in the way that they feed like each other and that universe um and it's it's so cool because like things that I didn't get the first time around or that I didn't get out of it, I'm getting now. And I'm like, oh, this is neat. And then, of course, you know, like um, scrolling through TikTok and a bunch of like, here is Sokka's trauma or here's this. And I was like, oh, no, this is so cool. And it's like, you know, this 30 second uh, TikTok that just like completely reframes and recontextualizes my understanding of this character. And um, and so it's just really it's incredible because it 
is like you can watch it and just be like man this is a good show or you can sit there and you can literally dissect every character every choice every um every literally everything about the show and it's all just so intentional and it makes me really happy that this exists and this existed at a time like this is something you can go back and be like like when so so much media is problematic you can go back and be like wow this actually wasn't garbage and wow there's no (laughs) white people in this show and wow there's like you know like uh women are strong and capable and treated as such like to go back and to see something um with that much intent even back then is like you know incredible um so yeah that that was my experience and i'm definitely going to rewatch all of the episodes again because uh, like you were saying amber once you start like you can't stop so it's just there yeah. it's just going yeah what about you eric yeah i mean just to add on to that real quick i'm very much of the same like i made these lists yes but then i was like well let me just get like two episodes before this just to kind of ease into this one just to get context cool okay let me watch the one after this like oh well the last the last episode's really <laughs> like an hour and 45 i could just it's it's the it's like the four episode compendium yeah. and sort of chapter like okay well let me just let me just watch that whole thing real quick and then the you know what i mean like it's very easy to get into that um for me i started watching it when it aired my friend my really like my best friend jacob was really into it right when it came out and we were watching it and i think i don't remember when i stopped but i definitely stopped in book 1 just keeping up with the story i think I remember very clearly it was like episode seven, the spirit world winter solstice episode. Um, and I remember just being like, Oh my God, this show is amazing. I love this. But for some reason I just like, didn't keep up with it. But in my head, I'd registered that I watched the whole thing. I just made that up. Like, Oh, I've seen avatar. I've seen the whole series. <laughs> and Eric would like mention like, Oh, well, what about Azula? I'd be like, who? <laughs> or what about this person? I'd be like, Oh, um, Wait, actually, no, I don't remember that. Wait, shit, do I only remember this one episode? That's so silly. Um, and so it was it was very much that. And then he's like, well, we have to watch Korra. I was like, okay, yeah, let's do Korra. So we watched the entire series of Korra, and it was fantastic. And I was like, whoa, this is uh, really good. And then subsequently, it's like, well, let's go back and watch all of Avatar. So then we did. And I was like, this is a completely different show than what I remember. Because, like, I mean, granted, I mean, I think I saw those episodes when I was like, 12 or 11 like like whatever age i was in like 05 like it was very much like oh no shit like this is a completely different show through the lens of like autonomy and adulthood and just like general growth it's a completely different like there's way more subtext there's way more intent there's way more nuance than just a cartoon about some ghosts in this town and this kid who can blow air and you're like amazing (laughs) (laughs) um I will say having this much love for the uh, the original and then going and watching the M. Night Shyamala uh, movie just makes it even worse. Um, a shout out. We are doing that for our Patreon. Uh, yeah. So uh, head on over there. Shall we go into the first one? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Water, earth, fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. 
Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed, and Katara and Sokka of the Southern Water Tribe discover Aang, the last airbender, stuck inside a brick of ice. He soon realizes his duty as the Avatar as Zuko, Prince of the Fire Nation, and his Uncle Iroh begin hunting him down as a way to redeem their character in the eyes of his father, the Fire Lord Ozai. After being cornered in the Northern Water Tribe headquarters, Zhao, a Fire Nation admiral, kills the Moon Spirit but is ultimately destroyed by Aang and the Waterbenders. What's this? Zuko has a sister named Azula who is exponentially more powerful than Zuko and is now herself out to find Aang. And Zuko and Uncle Iroh are now on the run from her and are slowly becoming good guys. And now an earthbending prodigy named Toph has joined Team Avatar and it's up to them to stop the Fire Nation from breaching the walls of Ba Sing Se? Yes. But unfortunately, the Fire Nation takes control of the capital city, and Zuko is back to being a bad guy like an absolute fool. After a failed attempt to breach the Fire Nation on the Eclipse, Zuko is like, I'm actually really good now because Daddy will never notice me, and joins Team Avatar to teach Aang firebending in the hopes of finally defeating Zuko's father, Azula, and the rest of the Fire Nation. What's this? Aang, the peacekeeper, may have to ultimately take the life of the Fire Nation ruler, Lord Ozai, as a way to keep everyone safe. In the final showdown, Aang ultimately strips Ozai of his bending abilities to keep the world safe and Ozai alive. Azula is bested by Katara in an absolutely gorgeous blowout. The war is over, Zuko becomes ruler of the Fire Nation, Aang and Katara kiss, and the world is saved! Oh no, not my cabbages! okay where do i want to go because there's like so many places to go right now um we we were just talking about like redemption right yeah we we Um, could talk about like restorative justice with like iroh and zuko and um i thought something that this story did really well was um that every character got to make amends for their mistakes in one way or another and the way that they chose to handle um to handle that right and i liked that in this world it's not like a um it's not a binary of good and evil or of like you know uh, of justice or or anything really there is no binary in the show it mm-hmm. is very much um you're you're on a scale and where that scale is depends on you it's not you know um it's not where you were born it's not this like you can be born in the fire nation and still you know under this totalitarian rule and learn to hate everybody else but you can still break away from that right and so going back to iroh iroh you know like we said very bad guy like and we don't see any of that right we only see him once he's you know like on his path to redemption right um but like he real like he decides that he is going to do things like help his uh, his nephew, who already was kind of questioning like the world that he was in and kind of their intent, right? Uh, the intent of the Fire Nation. So he saw that and he decided that he was going to help cultivate that and that he was going to help him who could then, you know, again, help lead, help. I, I think the wording he used later on was like, help save his country like he he earned his redemption and now he has to teach his country how to redeem themselves as well but like very directly like the way that he goes and on his redemption arc is sure through zuko but also bossing say itself right like he realizes that he was not there to um 
uh, like his uh, big vision of like bossing say that came to him was about that moment with the white lotus when they go to help the avatar to take back bossing say and he like seeing um just this like really quick like five second of like the of Iroh burning the flag the fire nation flag hanging over the palace i was like perfect exactly this is what you need to do right yeah and like when we talk about like you know within your own communities like challenging people that like you know have these uh hard perspective these uh these perspectives that are like maybe not great or anything like he directly like takes that and is like i you know this is my job to help my people or to help my nephew or to you know to challenge these people because i can like because i'm going to do that because this is you know so like just the way that it it did that it was never ang coming in and being like you all need to change or whatever like that kind of change was allowed to like cultivate within that society first and all all Aang really did was just say, hey, it's okay. Hey, I believe in you. Hey, hope, you know, like. Well, what I love that very much, it's like juxtaposed between Aang and Iroh, right? Because he's doing the same thing with Zuko a little bit, just as far as like, I can I can guide you there, but I can't make you do, I'm not going to force you to do anything. I'm here to say, hey, maybe that's not the right choice. Hey, maybe you should spend more time on that. Hey, Here's another platitude or another sort of allegorical poetic perspective on the idea of empathy. Maybe questions. How about that? You know what I mean? And In also being w- patient yeah. too, right? Yeah. Being patient, like, yeah. Uh, rather than saying this is what you need to do, well, allowing presenting this information and continuing to present and confront, right? And allow somebody well, to make their mistakes and redeem themselves, and not not like you know uh, glancing over that when um, Zuko finally realizes how badly he's fucked up, and he goes back and sees Iroh back at like oh the White gosh. Lotus camp, right? And he is literally like, sitting there. He tears, waits for his uncle tears, to wake tears. up, right? He waits there for hours. And then as soon as, like, Iroh wakes up, he says, I am so sorry. Like, and he, he at that point, has no ego. All of these things that the yeah. Fire Nation, like, drilled into him about, like, you know, patriarchy and all of these, like, emotions are bad and blah, 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 right? And you have to be strong and you have to be strong. He was just, like allowing himself to be fully weak in that moment yeah. and, and and truly once he left the fire nation and that is his true strength and so seeing him sit there and just cry and say i'm sorry i fucked up and not expecting like you know him to be forgiven mm-hmm. or anything like mm-hmm. i was like this this oh this, yeah this, this. <laughs> as soon as, as soon as you brought that up i kind of got chills a little bit because that scene was just so intense and impactful especially just i was response to being like i love you thank you thank you like i'm i'm happy i'm happy i'm this is Not, joyous it's okay. like thank you yeah yeah you know just this you is... did fuck up but thank you yeah like through their stories and i don't know if i fully saw them as like twin stories before like cuz they do set up some very interesting uh dichotomies like the dichotomy between Aang and Zuko. Like yeah. there are mm-hmm. ways that they're the same and ways that they're very different. Um, and Talk so like and I had Katara. thought about those, I had not thought about Zuko essentially being Iroh on a different part of the journey. That mm-hmm. like, um, but we totally get to see like how Iroh got there. Like he, 
Um, like, so there's a lot that I fill in that is just like my head canon, but I think it's reasonable enough to assume like this <laughs> is true. Yeah. Um, but like you think about, so Iroh and um, who's the bad guy? What's his name? Ozai. Ozai <laughs> growing up together, being in competition constantly. Oh, yeah. Being yeah. pushed to be ruthless bigger hotter all of the things yeah that even and like and maybe there were some ways oh my gosh i gotta tell you what i all think happened between um iroh and ozai but like uh you you think back to the time when like iroh says like uh i don't know if i can take him and i was like that that right there that's experience that no that is a knowing that like look we were constantly at each other's throats when we were kids and my little brother always had like a crazy thing in him yeah um like i feel like he had to have met the the dragon masters when he was like somewhat of a younger man maybe like maybe he was searching for a way to best his brother and oh, went to this place um, and had to learn that he was using anger and all these things to fuel his fire. Um, and like, because he, he had a soft heart there, even though like theoretically that would happen before he actually decided to change his path that he's on. And then, so you see like later in his life, he is like, I had this vision, I'm gonna take Ba Sing Se. Like, you know, he didn't have a giant drill or anything, but he got through that <laughs> wall. Yeah. Like he got, he did just as much as Azula yeah. without a giant drill. Like, yeah. That means something. Yeah. Um, and to think like the ruthlessness and like how he had to uh, approach that just to do it. And so thinking back to, to like the ultimate rivalry between them if ozai is not the big hot shot uh like burning down bossing say and he knows if his brother achieves that he's never going to get to be fire lord like his his brother has to fail at this and so who knows where ozai was maybe he was also in the field of battle somewhere maybe he was um back like consulting their father or something like that but here is my theory that i feel is right (laughs) (laughs) i think ozai in some way had a hand in iroh's son's death (gasps) oh i think so like i so here's what i think you said that and I under the you. cover yeah. of war. Now this is a biblical plot point, by the way. <laughs> under the cover of war, lots of things, anything could happen. If you wanted to kill someone that you wouldn't be able to kill at any other time, the best time to do it is in the the chaos of war. Yeah. So, so you're saying like Ozai, who knows if he does it, like Ozai's like he wins. Ozai loses. What are the chances that Ozai could have gotten someone on the field to kill his son? Because Ozai knows that Iroh isn't as ruthless as him. Yeah. 
I, Ozai knows, like, you know, I bet if he lost his baby boy, he would totally crumble. And he was right. Wow. And so I, I, I feel it so strongly that I think that it's true. <laughs> I would fully not be surprised if that was possibly a subplot or a part of the general narrative that maybe just didn't get fully fleshed out like yeah. if there were to be some sort of did it sorry i was like i have huh? to this theory oh yeah no, so no. i support look, this if we look back at the episode zuko alone and Zuko is remembering this time where, like, where they first found out that their cousin Luton had died when they first um, found out that Iroh gave up. So we see, like, Azula is a little terror. And, like, and when, and, like, Azula to me seems like, like, she probably just hangs out with her dad too much and hears him talking all of this shit about his brother who's trying to win the fucking war. And so she know, and so I feel like it shows that Ozai was plotting stuff in mm. the castle um, because Azula saying things that like little girls don't think of on their own. Like even someone as brilliant as, as Azula, like she had to hear, hear her father say like, oh, well, you know, Azulon is kind of sick He's probably going to be out soon anyway. She probably heard her father say, call him like royal tea drinking kooky or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so like she's overhearing all of these conversations and she had obviously heard a lot of them because she was like repeating these things back to her mother um, when they find out that Lutin had died. And I'm just like, that can't be a coincidence yeah like that he just like of course people die in war but like this worked out absolutely perfectly for one person and that's ozai wow and oh and I, he's sinister enough he doesn't too. seem like someone who yeah. would leave it to chance mm-hmm. um and so Ozai, he sends someone to kill Lutin. He's talking about how his dad has lost his mind. He puts together, like, the moment Lutin dies, that's when he requests the audience with his father. Um, I, I still, like, I'm fuzzy on all of the facts of, like, the arrangement he made with um, Ursa, I think her name is, yeah. Um, but I think that it came down to he killed his father or she killed his father and agreed to say that it was his last dying breath or something that Ozai becomes the Fire Lord. Because, like, Luton dies. He does all of this stuff before Iroh even gets back to the castle. Yeah. And Ozai has everything he ever wanted. Yeah. Like yeah, he had to give up a wife, but he doesn't think that think that that's that big of a deal. Yeah, he didn't care. Dang. <laughs> well, and that also just like you know furthers the fact that everybody is a victim of war and violence, just to these varying degrees, right? Like, di- 
directly, right, through Iroh and Ozai or Azula kind of, like, internalizing those ideas of violence and of war. and Or, like, you know, um, even, like, going ahead, like, you know, um, Sokka and, um, and Katara losing their parents where, like, yeah. you know, sure, one of them is alive, but they're off at war. There's literally the, the like, village has children. The village oh, is yeah. being protected by children because they're all of all of the capable adults went <laughs> off to war, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, Aang, obviously, like, just each each character that we meet is just really internalizing these ideas of war and of violence uh, specific to their experience in the world and also their relation to it. Which side of the wall are they on? Which, you know, are they in denial? Like, you know, the residents of Ba Sing Se, are well, they, you know, like, there's there's... There's so much, and again, it's not a binary. We all experience these things in different ways relative to our position in the world, both as, like, our status or as, like, our geographical location, our sex, our, you yeah. know, um, our our gender, our, our, you know, familial ties, like Toph, who, like, is literally like a rich girl who is never allowed any autonomy or to be herself. And sure, she's, like... Uh, she seems like an asshole when she's hanging out with like Aang and everybody, which is great. But that's because she feels safe. That's the only way. That's the only place that she has and, like, ever truly been able time, to be herself. She's yeah. got to be herself around human beings and not, you know, giant creatures. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, also just just ridding yourself of sort of that family baggage, where like nobody really knows her. She can kind of just do whatever in this fighting ring, and yeah. she's obviously this like fighting prodigy. But like, even when they go to Bossing Say, and she's like, "Oh yeah, we're being handled. I'm familiar with this. This has been yes. my life." Like. Yeah. Like you guys think they're just aloof or whatever. It's like, no, this is intentional. This is strategic. They don't want us to know something. That's what I'm bringing to this. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah. Just that whole that whole history is so great. I love Toph. Toph is so fucking Toph. cool. <laughs> I, I love in her. General, just like so we touched on it. Like, let's talk about the ladies. Yeah. Like the women in this series they make them singular for very specific reasons. And I love it. Oh yeah. And of course I have a whole theory, but like you guys go. <laughs> no, I was, I was only going to bring up Azula just because of her complexity Azula. in terms of, of like not only her family history, but there's, the, so there's obviously the sibling rivalry element. And then there's this obsession with power that was kind of bestowed on, on her and into her and to the point of where like those last couple episodes like even the fight with Katara like her her like it's so well done her dive into psychosis and her dive into full like complete loss of autonomy complete loss of 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 existence essentially to anger and grief and that moment when she's tied to the grate and she's scream crying and like weeping but also screaming and like laughing and you're seeing her (laughs) i know you're seeing her like you're kind of seeing her decay like her 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 whole persona you're watching it sort of just expel itself in all of these any way it can get out it's just coming out and it's just really so jarring and intense and so incredible (laughs) that's what they really wanted for Daenerys and Game of Thrones but they fucked that whole thing up (laughs) Um, 
But like, I don't even want to yeah. talk about it. Like, that was <laughs> so cool. I never put, put those two together. But yes. Like, that's this is what they wanted for her. But yeah, no, absolutely. Also, her music was fucking terrifying. There was always yeah. something just slightly off about it. And it was mm. just so striking. Even though it was just like so minimalistic just that tone that like dong i was like oh god like you know like she's she's off and i like that 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 note just really like conveyed that and um and like also she like i don't know i i also liked that her way of dealing with things like because she lives i mean who what women are in power in this uh in avatar right everybody is a king every it's all male right so everybody's also a victim of patriarchy azula is also no no exception to that right she's not even she's going to be fire lord sure but her dad's going to be like supreme fire lord right so she's not even so um and she also hates her mom right so that's like a whole thing (laughs) women um, but, um, her way of dealing with things because she's, she never under that like totalitarian patriarchal society within the, uh, the fire nation, she's never able to, um, learn how to process emotions. Um, and her way of dealing with it is just to literally remove it altogether, both people and emotions. And we see her kind of do that throughout the series, right? Where she collects things that she thinks is useful and the second they're not, she like pushes them away, yeah. right? So, um, so that's why that, that scene too is just so powerful because we have literally seen her expel everything and everybody. And the only thing that she has left to expel is her literal energy, is her literal like being because she she can't get those emotions out because she can't talk about them she can't process them she can't do anything with them right uh her fire is blue because it's so hot because there's so much rage and um and unprocessed uh emotion in there that she's not able to do anything other than you know this is power to her but really it is the greatest weakness that she has um but, like, when she just, like, starts banishing everybody, and especially, can we talk about how great May is? Uh, and how, like, when she says, I love Zuko more than I fear you, how that is just, like, coming from a Fire Lord person, the greatest thing that even in such close proximity to danger and to this, love will still conquer that. And it doesn't matter, even though he left me, even though, like, you know, this whole situation is fucked up. He still means more to me than I fear you, even though I'm not getting anything out of this transaction. Like, ugh. yeah, I know what you're gonna do, bitch. And <laughs> yeah. Bring um. Okay. I'm, yeah. Oh, I, was, sorry. I I just want to say one thing. The first time we see her, she is so powerful that she's literally just a rocket. Like she's just like, oh, by the way, Fireman. <laughs> like I'm yeah. here, and you're like, okay, wow. I guess like. She's scary. Cool. <laughs> Sorry, that's my only addition. Oh, no, you're good. Um, Azula, I think, like, if I had, like, gone to my head, like, who do I really love the most? It's maybe Azula. Really? Um, yeah, like, one, I think that she is one of the most perfect villains ever. She is precise. She is exact. She does not question her motives. She knows exactly what she's going to do. She knows how she's going to get it. She's flexible enough to uh, adapt to whatever she needs to. She's 
hella competent about everything. And it's always been that way. And you know, you like, she feels so powerful because she know, she believes in that part of herself. Um, oh gosh. And so, and another really interesting dichotomy that they set up in the show is like Azula, perfect bad guy. Katara, perfect good guy. Yeah. Like, you know, neither. And when I say perfect, I don't mean infallible. I mean... Oh pure like this is what a bad guy is this is what a good guy is this is the worst bad guy you would want to come against this is the worst good guy you would want to come against yeah um so like just sticking on azula so here's another one of my head cannons but i i'm pretty sure it's true but this i am not the only one to make this um a some well connection it's not even an assumption in my mind um, like along with the family drama, along with, you know, like, why can't I kill this kid? Like, I'm just like, I'm supposed to be able to kill things. Why can't I just kill this kid? Um, is also like, she was betrayed by a lover. Like for, I would say like the first several times I watched the show, I would think, I was like, what? really was the point of Tylee like like I liked her and I thought she was cool but I was like what what like what was she really about why was she doing what she was doing it didn't fully make sense like may made total sense like like yeah you're my friends like I've known you my whole life but when you're on that bullshit like I'm (laughs) I'm going off on my own Tylee didn't make sense until I fully accepted that, like, no, her and Azula are lovers 100%. And I bet it goes back into their childhood 100%. So many examples. Like, one, she's the only one who actually touches Azula. Like, I can't think of any other time anybody touches Azula. And she doesn't just touch Azula. They hug. They hold hands that she lets just the tiniest little piece of her um, ego shed for Ty Lee and only Ty Lee. There are times when Ty Lee is like looking at her like she's the most amazing person. She literally says, you're the most beautiful, amazing person. <laughs> and it's, I was like, but that's not just, oh, you're my super best friend. No. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's not. Well, it's I have been in love with you since we were children. I know exactly how you are and I accept you. Like why she decides to go with her cuz she's like, look, I know who Azula is. She is going to just torture me until I agree to do what she wants me to do. So I'm just going to do it. I kind of wanted to anyway. Yeah. Like, I bet it was hard for her to even, like, at first say no to Azula. She's also the only person who says no to Azula and survives. Yeah. Dang. Um, her face. Okay, so I love that you brought up um, May's line of, like, I love him more than I fear you. So again, showing Tylee's love and devotion to Azula. One, when they go to attack the gondola, they don't even have to exchange words. 
it's they the don't at all. They both know, okay, we got to get from here to there. They're both incredibly competent and they can do it. And she was the ride or die all along. Yeah. And I think when May says, I love him more than I fear you, at the same time, Tylee is realizing, oh shit, I love her more than I fear her. And then so she doesn't even think, she doesn't think about how she's going to get out of it. She just knows like, I can't let her kill our friend and she 100% will kill our friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she just acts and and she knows because of that relationship she will not be killed she'll yeah. make she's True. like no matter what even if she's X out of uh, Azula's life mm-hmm. she will still be alive because of that relationship it's so interesting because like I feel like uh, everything you're saying is 100% true and this is canon as far as I'm concerned <laughs> and I love like that you brought up that she is like Azula is the most capable and the smartest and all of this her literal only downfall is that she can't process emotion and that she kind of and that leads her to being violent in this um, in this way where she's literally about to kill her friend right and so like if Azula had not been like if emotions had not been as like you know bad in like her world and her upbringing and if she had actually learned how to process them and if she had you know when Iroh or Zuko or mom tried to reach out and tried to you know um tried to process some of that like she would be unstoppable the the move like Avatar would have had an, a much different ending if she ever was able to return Tylee's love, she would have been unstoppable. I mean, her weakness. what an absolute good perspective or like what an incredible perspective for Tylee. Because again, you're yeah. so right. She is kind of an outlier. She kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah. Just in like, terms of like who she is, like how she exists and how like her, her whimsical and very, very like uh palpable optimism is so just like out of place in this perspective and i know in just a sense of like creating character like having this kind of breakup in this group makes it easy to be like oh distinct distinct distinctive characters and all that but even then it re- she really feels like not just a favorite but an outlier and yeah a hundred percent damn like i like this the more that i read into it yeah so much yes like 100% lesbian drama. Like that's the only oh, yeah. thing that makes sense. Well, also like not even just generally betrayal of a best friend, but the look on Azula's face when she is betrayed is like, if you think about it from that perspective, it is not just like, I can't believe you've done this. It's like, you wouldn't have done you. This. Like- you, you're, you're the one doing this. How is it you of all people, you, and that is more than just a, friend that is you are my confidant and this is the opposite of never never in our history would i think that this would happen yeah or she would have had a contingency for it but she did yeah and she there's didn't. also something about the way she says lock them up so i never have to see their faces again and i'm like because one of them have her favorite face like that's her favorite <laughs> face and she was like, no, I never want to see her face again. Like, she could have said, so they never see the light of day again or something like that. No. There's something. She was like, I never want to see their faces. 
Wow. Love this. Also, How good. I'm obsessed. Emotions. Yeah. And it's the one person that she, if there were, if she had a weakness, it's, I mean, it, it, it's, it's seeing her. It's, it's, it's feeling any level of vulnerability or openness with her and knowing that, like, she can exist in ways that she wouldn't necessarily consider with her. Oh my god, ah, that's so good. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I was like, but you know, like her father was a fire lord. She couldn't bring her little girlfriend around. Or probably her, her her father talking about like, oh, you know, like those kind of people. Yeah. And like Azula's perfect. She can't be one of those people. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I thought Cora was going to be the queer one. I love the, like the queer discussion, <laughs> just in terms in terms of like, like discussing honestly, that I, as like the queer show. Yeah, before we knew the confirmation of like Cora and Asami, I remember telling my brother, "I was like, no, Ben, they're gonna be together because why Azula? Because for the love of Azula, they're gonna have the love that she never could have had." Yeah, and he was like, "I don't know, I don't know. They're gonna do this. It's a Nickelodeon show," and I was like, "They're gonna, they gotta." Yeah, and like oh, all yeah. of my friends were like, "You're right, they're all couple," and I was like, "I told you." I love it. <laughs> yes, in Korra, they should have full-on kissed because like one, the kiss between Aang and Guitar at the end was way too grown up. Well, it, it also like deep kissing between children. It also felt like they kind of gave up. Like, like obviously there was a relative like crush that was kind of always the case, and there was that whole subplot where it was like, "I like you." Oh, okay, like you like, know, and oh, it's very you, much oh, just oh, like you? in yeah. like like that is very much the operative word, like not love and not like deep romance, because again, they're children. But then at the end, you're not really getting a lot of that leading up to it. And then they're just like, well, we just need to wrap it up, make him kiss, and then close on the sun. Yeah, it seemed seemed so haphazard the way it was kind of just re-dropped back in there. Oh, remember when they had a romance? Anyways, here it is again. Bye. Because now (laughs) it's good and they love each other. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I really liked when they let Katara have that autonomy to be like, when Ing was like, hey, and she's like, look, no, I need... I need some time. I need to process this. And, like, sure, was Aang sad about it? Yes. But I loved that there w- that, that wasn't really forced or anything. And like you're saying, like, that was kind of pigeonholed into the end, you know? At least um, you get autonomy in it, correct. Yeah. Which, you know, like, a lot of, you know, there there's so many times where there is no autonomy in that, um, especially with kids shows and especially when, um, you know, because, like, when Katara and Aang were on screen together, a lot of that was, you know, um, or alone, I'll say. It's like, you know, there's the lovers, that, that whole, like, um, episode, the lovers and the, the and tunnels. All of that. I love like, kid romance. Like, that is it's pure, silly and messy kid romance. Like, through the eyes of children, of course, they would do these sweet things for each other because they, they love each other, but it's a kiddie love. It's not a, let's, like, make out in front of our whole family love. <laughs> yeah. And not know how to deal with it, right? Because they're yeah. like, you know, they both fuck up with like what they say, especially Aang. And I was like, you're so cute. You're so sweet. I'd rather like, see wait, you uh, die. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then you'd rather me, and I was like, okay, this, <laughs> this is so cute. Like, I yeah. think this is great. 
Um, but yeah, I didn't even think about that, that but you're right. Good. If they like, I'm totally cool with that kind of kid romance. It just like, yeah, I, I also have a personal pet peeve at shows that send the message like, oh, everyone meets their soulmate when they're like 11 years old. Yes. And like, so and through yeah. trauma, like going through trauma <laughs> together, right? Yours. Good luck. You are never going to have a real soulmate because the only real ones you meet when you're a literal baby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's awful. not like you will go on <laughs> and do lots I... of other things and meet lots of different people. Oh, like, yeah. Nope. I, I... I feel like it is that, like, I mean, obviously, it's just, like, a really boring trope, and also just the oversimplification and, like, romanticizing the idea of, like, a soulmate just for the sake of story, where it's like, yeah, sure, but it's, like, it's it's way more complex than that very simple, mundane idea of, like, well, we were crushes in high school in the eighth grade, and we're gonna have ten kids, and you're like, okay, like, I just, I, I just <laughs> like, right. there's, there, cool, like, happy birthday i don't know like like it just seems like an unrealistic very oversimplification of like what love can be or what love is or the complexity of life or the nuance of people and like how we're all so varied and we change so often so much and we like you know it just it discounts the human experience like we're gonna meet a lot of new different people yeah oh yeah like who's to say that we shouldn't give them a try we're also all going to change so much and grow so much that somebody that was a good yeah. fit for you at one point in your life might not be in 10 years, no. you know? Imagine. And that's okay. Yeah. Imagine being married to your 12-year-old crush. Like, okay. my life would be hell. <laughs> I, and it's it's wild to me that, like, like, a couple of my friends in high school, senior year, was like, we got married, and you're like, you're in high school. What are you doing? Like, our parents signed off. You're like, okay. And they're like, and we're pregnant. I'm like, I I mean, okay. It, and again, at the, same, at the same time, it's not my life. It's your life. Absolutely, by all means, go live it however you choose. But there is a level of like, we're, we have time. Again, we have so much time to, to grow and change and to figure a lot out. And there's a lot of stuff to figure out still. Yeah. Like, we're not, we're not fully developed people. I don't think we'll ever be fully developed people. Yeah. Like, like I'm... <laughs> infinitely happier with myself at 33 than I was at 13. Oh, yeah. And it's just like... Even 23. All of that growth, like, that was important. Yeah. I'm a different person, and, like, the only way it works is if you both somehow grow together and and never out of pace, and and all... Lots of other things have to work out, too. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I like that just as like a general check in because like like you said, like looking at yourself as a 33 year old or however old you are in the moment back, say five years and being like, I am not that person anymore. Or like, I can't believe I would do that. Who was that? But I'm sure that person at that time is looking at their five years previous and being like, wow, I can't believe that I would. do." So it's like, obviously, you're constantly changing. The iterations of you are just compounding exponentially until you die. Right. Like you just change, change in infinity to some degree. And I just, yeah. I mean, some, some people don't beautiful thing. Yes. It's what, a, what a treat, what a privilege to be able to do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, Oh my gosh. Anyway, like, I, Oh my God, this show is so good about bringing out these kinds of conversations <laughs> just in terms of, again, it is so nuanced. I, I cannot believe how 
how lovely they treat the characters in all of their flawed perspectives and all of the ways that they exist. Like they don't shy away from badness. They don't shy away from, from, from disgusting action. They don't shy away from shame or like fear or, or like, it's just, they're so careful with these characters, which is so lovely. And I thought it was really cool that like every, um, everybody had their own path, you know? And so not everybody's path is linear and not everybody's path begins pure. And no matter where yeah. you are on the scale or the spectrum, you can go one way or the other. Like every choice that you make and every, you can have moments of weakness when Katara, you know, start like uses blend bending without a second thought when, you know, before she was like frightened at the fact that she, that blood bending was a thing. Right. And then she's confronted with um, the guy that killed her mom, you know, and who, she witnessed her mom being killed, right? She walked in on the guy when he was, you know, essentially torching her mom. Yeah. How, yeah. how it horrible. Like she ran away, but I bet she was there for it, or at least, like, that's enough of a traumatic moment. It doesn't matter if she was, like, right there in it. Like, she was in the room. So she sees my- that, and when confronted with that, right, she's able to, she, like, her rage and her anger even though she is the best and most like true or most good character on the show, there's even that moment of weakness in her, you know, and we are all capable of these things and these choices and these, and like, you know, goodness and badness. And it literally is just choice and everything is a choice. There is no reaction, you know? Um, And I like that she was able to, she had that moment and she pulled herself back from it, you know? Oh yeah, it's so beautiful. Th- the way, the way again, it's like even in those moments of 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 emotional sort of ineptitude or the like, sort of blinded by rage or or what have you. After the fact, you still have to deal with the fact of the matter, which is the action of itself. Like you have to confront, like I being of sound body and mind, I'm coming face to face with the fact that I was capable of doing this. I did this and like reacting to that after the fact and reconciling that as a person, like I thought that I was good. I thought that I like was these things. How in this moment, in this maybe just a moment of rage, how was I capable of kind of such an awful thing, something I swore to never do or something that I never thought that I'd be able to do. Like, what does that make me? How, who, who, how does that recontextualize who I am now, knowing that I'm capable of something like that? Which, again, for for a children's show, is like, what an interesting conversation. <laughs> like, like, wow. These are questions. <laughs> these are questions. Like, I, like, I would love to hear, like, it, like, and I'm sure an eight-year-old could be like, oh, well, yeah. I thought that she was thinking about this as she, like, st- stared into the water and yeah. thought about mortality. Well, and it's... It is. It's, I feel like the the more... I feel like... I mean, obviously not all cartoons, but, like, a lot of newer cartoons are kind of following suit in these sort of bigger conversation perspectives. I mean, obviously we're talking about Avatar and Korra, but, like, say Steven Universe or, like even something as recent as like Craig of the Creek, like all of these very, like they're, they're kind of like smaller shows and smaller conversations, but they're just as impactful and just as intentional. Like, I mean, all of the empathy conversation within something like Steven universe is like wild to me. Cause that's kind of the 
antithesis of the show. That's kind of the entire ethos of it is like, think about other people and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I guess, yeah, 100%. All right, let's let's do it. Yeah. And so in this, it's very much just like, I'm I'm continually impressed by the way this show or this, like this, this series itself, the, the idea and the world of Aang and Korra continues to just, even on rewatching, reignite certain ideas, but also reintroduce a perspective, say that you're getting on a third watch, like, like you had said earlier, that you may not have just noticed just because you understand these characters and you see the, the more nuanced action of them. Oh. Speaking mm-hmm. of understanding a character more in the rewatch, like I would say, like I was several rewatches down where I realized this is not even really a story about Aang. Yes. It's a story really? about Katara. Yeah. Like the world does not get saved without Katara, without Katara like letting her anger out when it was like appropriate at her brother Katara not giving up on how water bending made her feel and like the importance that it um, made her feel even though she had nowhere and nothing to like teach her what it was like uh you know the fire nation had to take more than just all the water benders like they had to probably like burn down libraries and like um destroy all of this stuff that like katara has nothing um it is her being just open to ang what well, it's her face that ang sees and is like okay let's do it <laughs> yeah uh, he's like where where am i what's what's going on yeah. here's a pretty girl um, like, and I'm just like, Aang had drowned <laughs> at the island of Kyoshi and, um, and Katara, who doesn't even really know anything about airbending, is able to bend water out of his lungs. If she doesn't do that, bam, Aang is dead. Yeah. If she didn't, like, get mad and, like, let her emotions kind of take over, like, Aang wouldn't even have been freed. Like, the even the opening credits are, like, you know, it's her voice talking about the Avatar and then ending on, but I have hope. Yes. And so the hope and the, the dreams hope? of women, right, are what perpetuates the story forward and makes this, uh, makes... Uh, brings balance to everything, even though Aang is there. Yes, like, and this is, and we'll we'll get to him and how how beautiful, how much I love him. But like, uh, but truly, like, and even like, you know, the Kiyoshi warriors and like, um, and Toph, and you know, like talking about um, uh, dualistic personalities, like Toph and uh, and uh, Katara, always like. You know, they're complete opposites, but they're also so similar, you know, and that's why they continually butt heads, you know, and like, so, but, but yeah, like, um, Katara is truly the reason why anything happens and she's, she's, you know, 
She's there before Aang, and then she's also there after Aang to help guide and yeah. the next generation of, of, like, of hope. And she also has no problem. Story. She has no problem handing the torch to Korra and enabling her and saying, yes, you are capable. You should do this. Also, the next generation. Yes, absolutely. This is your world. You need to make this. And when Katara was handed shit from the generations before her, she was the one that took up the mantle and kept the whole group together and literally changed the world by uniting all of them and making sure that they process their emotions or they talk things out or, you know, like fundamental things like where are they going to sleep tonight? All of these things are handled. She's there to help everybody else kind of like process things because she has hope and because she like, yeah, Katara is just wonderful. Another time. They would have been dead in that desert. They would have been Truly, dead yeah. and gone. And Katara, a waterbender with no water, saved them. Yes. This is the story of how Katara made it so everyone could be saved. Yeah. Truly. She is the real hero in so many ways. I mean, truly, like you'd said, (laughs) the story starts with her voice saying, I have hope. It's a story about me. And then we see her. And then Aang shows up, sure. But then we get her story. What happened to her parents? Like, that's all beginning. That's her. It's about her. Her brother, sure, but her. (laughs) Aang was there. (laughs) Yeah, he was there. They were both there, but it was largely her. And then... Absolutely. Without her, nothing would get done. But then seeing the parallel of Korra, where she is kind of the only remaining character from this first one who's like, like you'd said, she is there to hand the torch over to Korra and say like, hey, yeah, I'm here. I see you. I remember when we were your age. I remember when we did this. And you should be proud. And I can't wait to see what you can do. Like, go on your journey. Yes, I'm here. I'm absolutely my time. I'm still here. Sure. But like, it's time for and you to do this. Go yeah. for when it. she falls, when when Cora falls and has, you know, has to do physical therapy and is just absolutely oh destroyed from uh, not to get into Cora, which is next, but like she is all like she is there to help pick her up and to help guide her and to help again, just like she did with the last avatar, pull her out of her head and help her process what happened. Like still at like such an still old ass age, just like, still literally. saving the world. Yes, I do literally say that out loud when I rewatch that episode. I'm like, Katara still saving the world. Yeah, what would you guys do without her? You'd all be dead and not around. Yeah, and like Toph too, being a disabled character, like being blind and not having like her trauma is not around being blind. Her how she experiences the world, sure, people treat her like differently, but like only her family, only the people that know are around her, right? And the rest of the time she's just like she's a normal person because she is. And not only is she like just a, a normal person, she has so much power that she has taught herself how to see without having eyes by feeling the vibrations in the earth and in whatever surface she's on she can tell you like okay there's two guys in the room over here your boys are like down here uh like you know down the stairs uh on the right like and she just that incredible amount of power and then being the first one to fucking metal bend and she's like oh yeah don't worry i got this like she at like nine years old or however old they are 
literally invents a whole new way of bending yeah. and is just like, oh, yeah, I got this. It's fine. Just, whatever. And, and it's not celebratory it. of it. Yes. She's just like, I got this. I got this. Whatever. She's just she knows she has power and she doesn't need anybody to tell her that she does. Yeah. Again, like like Amber, like you said, she needed to. So she did. Like, just straight up, that's it. That's the end of the story. Like, I I feel like this is possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. Then let me do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and then she's like, yeah, I can metal bend anyways. What are you guys doing today? <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah. okay. Same cool. with Katara. She just figured out blood bending. Yeah. Because she needed to. She was also kind of primed for that, too, because our first introduction of Sokka is just incredibly misogynistic. You're a woman, you can't do anything, right? So she's used to existing in these spaces and challenging that. And then this is the, like, that's the first time that we see her really challenge, like, you know, a misogynistic asshole on, like, such a a fundamental, like, look, I don't, I'm looking for a master. You say you're good fucking fight me and i'm like yeah. no yeah. i was like as a little girl who never bluffed <laughs> like if yeah. i made a threat i'm going through with it i'm not bluffing yeah um yeah. i loved that so like the little girl in me was like i would have fought him too <laughs> um i cry i cry of this being katara's story like that moment where she calls um, her <laughs> Sokka uh, sexist is the moment for me. And I imagine for lots of people that I first realized like, oh, this show has something going on. Yeah. Like it's like, you know, a minute in and she was yeah. like, you know what, you're <laughs> sexist. And I'm like, oh, we're starting there. This is the first scene. This You're is the starting there. This is the introductory sentence. Exactly. Yes. Like, hello, welcome to the world. Stop being such a sexist. And you're like, wait, what? Oh, okay. Yeah. True. What love... else do they do? <laughs> and I love that Sokka, too, also has his own redemption arc with like how he treats women, right? Because he uh, starts to understand and accept the power and the value of women, you know, slow, like, not slow, not as slow as it sounds, but like he he really does, and he learns fighting styles from women, yeah, and he like, like you I know, feel... as like a non bender too, he has so much agency in the story, even though he doesn't learn bending or anything, he learns all of these different fighting styles and becomes this master strategist, like also showing that like even if you don't have these incredible bending powers, you still have a place in the world and you are still valuable and you can, you can do so much more. Bending is just this small element of that, you know? Um, and I, I want to segue into Aang really quick, uh, just cause. We have not talked about <laughs> So, um, segueing into Aang, um, I love that Aang is, one in the series allowed to be just a little boy who doesn't really know a lot and that he is a hundred percent like okay with people like giving him advice and you know having people around him and accepting support and giving support and all of that um and i love that he is true to himself basically throughout the entire show and doesn't like ever you don't really think about like that he never killed anybody right throughout this whole thing and then at the end when he's like I don't care what Ozai's done 
me, like me and my people, I was taught that all life is sacred and that I don't want to kill anybody. And so like me, who like in most of these shows, it's like, I don't want to kill. Oh, but some people need to die. You know, that's usually like the way that this narrative would go. Right. So literally him inventing this form of like chi blocking or like, you know, like, um, like removing somebody's bending and disempowering the bad guy, like was the most mind-blowing thing for me even now in like the year of our lord 2020 one 2020 when i watched but like for me like that that was so incredible because i just completely forgot like um it subverted my expectations even now in today's day and age and i was like this show is just so, that to me that like elevated from just it was an incredible show to one of the best shows because they still didn't have their main character like you know like descend into that even though all of his past lives were saying yeah you got to kill him boy you got to do it and he's just like yeah what's wrong with you you know yeah. i love that it's well it's one of those things too that just reiterates this idea of like intent with story like i feel like oftentimes heroes are billed as like hey we, this is a story we need to hear and like we should be paying attention to these heroes but more often than not they're kind of just pretty complacent or bad or both or meh whatever who make really objectively bad decisions and then it's like oh well the world is fucked so it all doesn't matter and it's like well okay well sure but in this it's very intentionally like no 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 this is a story to pay attention to here's why ang is different than all of the past avatars here's why it's important that he's deciding these things and why even even in the last thing where like the cognizance and recognition of like i'm not ready I know this intrinsically, factually, so many people's lives lives hang in the balance. I know in my soul, I'm not ready right now. And then kind of being like, yeah, we see that we get it. Like, it's not this like false sense of confidence or this false, like sort of aggrandizement. Although to some degree, there is a little bit of that, especially with Cora being the foundation, literally the foundation to everything. Um, Aang still understands what he is capable of and understands what his moral foundation looks like and never loses sight of that, which is a story worth listening to. <laughs> like, cause how often do you get that in, in, in any media for the most part with your, with your heroes. And he's also so young too. So and he's like, so, young. so to, and everybody in team avatar is incredibly young. So to see these young people fundamentally challenge and change the world, like, like, empowering every young viewer that is watching this saying it doesn't matter how old you are and it doesn't matter if anybody in the world is telling you that you have to live this way or that you have to do this you literally do not have to you shape your own destiny and when you are presented with only two options find the third make the third make your own way because like and so to me just yeah again like you know talking to an eight-year-old about this show that is something like the way that this show presents these big giant ideals is just so fundamental and so um in such a way that like literally it is speaking to them it is something and presented in a way that they can process that it's not like us you know here in our 30s can be like oh cool like yeah i totally get this this is so great but it is broken down into like the most fundamental aspects of this 
and just so simplistic and because it doesn't have to be hard, right? Making the right choice or like making a choice that feels right to you does not have to be hard. Is it hard? Sure. But like it, you can make that choice and it's okay to make that choice. And so often, you know, even even in the final solution of this show, where when there appears to be a binary, it's not a binary. Like Aang finds a place on the spectrum that he feels comfortable with. And it's just, amazing. It's incredible. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's it really is such an incredible show. Yeah. Shall we do Cora? Yeah, let's do it. Oh okay. my goodness. In the near century since we last saw Aang and the gang, a lot has changed. A new avatar by the name of Korra was born and shows significant promise as the new keeper of peace. Although in New Republic City, a group of anti-bending revolutionaries called the Equalists have begun terrorizing the city, led by Amon. She meets Bolin, Mako, and Asami, and despite the absolute mess of a love square, they become the new team avatar. Amon is caught, the city is saved, what's this? Vatu, the spirit of darkness, is going to be released and destroy life as we know it on the Harmonic Convergence, and Korra learns the history of the first Avatar wand, and now she has to defeat her uncle Unalak, who has merged with Vatu's spirit in a merged New Republic Bay showdown? Yes, and she wins. Post-harmonic convergence and the re-emergence of spirit and human cohabitation, a lot of once non-benders have started developing airbending, nature is healing, including the Red Lotus Society leader Zaheer. Zaheer vows to end the lineage of the Avatar for the, air quotes, greater good, and after killing the Earth Queen, captures Korra and plans on ending it all with her. Poisoned but powerful, Korra defeats Zaheer in a gorgeous showdown, but, oh no, Korra is badly hurt and unsure of what her future holds. Three years have now passed, and after extensive physical therapy and training, Korra is getting back into the swing of the Avatar. But what's this? Kuvira has made it her mission to unite the Earth Kingdom by any means necessary after the death of the Queen and has now become a dictator tyrant who will stop at nothing to conquer the world? Sure is. After Kuvira builds a super weapon from Spirit Vine Energy, Korra and the gang show up for one final battle at New Republic City, ending Kuvira's reign and once again restoring peace to the world. Also, Asami and Korra are dating. We love a queer moment. Woo! Yay! So much to do. Where do we want to start? Amber, where do you want to start? I have an unpopular opinion. I've come to the conclusion that Korra is the main story and Avatar is the prequel. Interesting. Yeah, I was like, it's unpopular, so this is not one of my head canons that is absolutely logical with everything. But I, So I only speak for myself when I say Korra is the main story avatar with all of its beauty with all of its perfection and just importance i was like it is the fairy tales of this world that cora is it is like you know like that's what they read about in their history books but here life is going on and it's cora's time yeah Um, i completely agree completely agree and because like especially after watching both of them and then re-watching both of them now I'm like like they feel like different shows one feels like a fairy tale right and very um and it does a lot of world building it does a lot of you know um it feels like it, there's more fable to or more like lessons like you know kind of 
like when you think of like mythology and things like that, there's like a lesson behind a story behind a thing. And I feel like that is very much um, Avatar because it is um, a little bit more for all of its depth. It's a little bit more linear in the way that it tells story, Um, whereas Korra lives in the mess. Right. And without having that um, that context from the first show, um, a lot of that is kind of lost, I feel. And like truly like Aang is just getting rid of Violet Ozai. That's his whole thing. Right. Whereas Korra is like literally actually dealing with the inequality of people and, uh, you know, benders versus non-benders and also like um the literal like spirit of goodness and badness in the world right and like the the spirit world versus the human world she's actually dealing with like these big long conflicts that have been established and have been there since the beginning of time almost whereas ang just has to deal with firelord ozai you know what i mean like Korra's actions will ripple for 10,000 years at least at least. Well, just the singularly the reintroduction of the spirit world to the human world as a way to sort of reheal or relearn how to coexist. Yeah. By itself is this mm-hmm. humongous feat. I mean, yes. Yeah. And so it's just like I know people will fight to the death of Aang versus Korra. It doesn't really make sense that they would ever be in competition. Yeah, like, but I was like, it makes sense that it's the legend of Korra. Mm, like, that's a, true. Like, I, I, if you imagine like ten thousand years from that point, I imagine Aang being like a footnote to Korra, like a, an important one, maybe not a footnote, maybe like a chapter to talk about how all of this stuff had to happen and that, but she was destined to fix the old, the first sin of wiping out all of the airbenders. Like I was like, I feel like Aang would agree. Like actually it's about what she did. Yeah. Like I just woke up and fuck, like my people were wiped out and I did the best that I could, but that is like a major, major trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Korra was destined to fix it. Aang set the stage and Korra performed. Absolutely. Like, there there are people well respected in our fandom that would kill all of us for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. Us. We love you and we welcome yeah, your opinion. We love and respect and, and respect. But yeah, because one truly cannot exist without the other, I think, just in the general idea um, of our consumption, just like yeah. they obviously have to go together that's how they interact that's the impactfulness of Korra so much of its impactfulness is reiterating and understanding the history of Aang right but I mean even looking at the first season of Korra and like granted it does get better but just the idea that like the crux of the conflict is this idea of non-benders being like what about us we've been Mm -hmm. forgotten we're you know, I, I know that that's a narrative that's been told, but I like that as just the sort of introductory point to like, we, we're, we're constantly being forgotten. We're the, we're the, we're kicked aside. Like nobody f- cares about us. Like we're killed and nobody bats an eye because the avatar was here to do something like who cares. And juxtaposing that introduction of conversation with Cora's privilege, her first time in the city being like, well, I'm the avatar. Well, I'm, I'm not, not I'm not. Any- she literally I didn't break says, anything. 
I'm not oppressing anybody. You're oppressing yourself. And I was like, I yeah. bitch. And when I saw that and like, remember like in real time, like this one season was coming out. We were getting yeah. one season of Korra and we had waited all these years and speculated all of these things about what happened after like these beloved characters that we knew so well. And like to have her just be like, I'm not oppressing you. And that is the coolest thing in the world. Like, <laughs> I not love bending. Like, I feel like me and like millions of people were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, where is Sokka's legacy? <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> and it was so hard to accept. It was really, really hard even to see Korra for her values. I really love the Equalists. I love them a lot. Like, I love their premise. I love, like, we should all, like, I'm here for that. And I want to talk about them and all the other bad guys separately. But season one was a little bit tough, mostly for me because of that. Because, I mean, yes, Korra is sheltered because she lives at the South Pole and the whole thing, right? And I get that. But having, like, her introduction when she's, like, three or whatever is like i'm the avatar you gotta deal with it and she's like doing all of the elements already and i'm like damn ang couldn't do that like so she's already more powerful as a three-year-old like with like milk tummy out and i was like oh so cute but (laughs) um everybody knows like the fat tummy was the perfect (laughs) so cute and then like so to go from that to like you know just being like well, you're oppressing yourself. And I was like, okay, well, I I don't love that. But people told me it was good, right? So it's like, I'm going to keep on this. And then having that, why, like, I feel like they put too much emphasis on that love square because I didn't give a oh. shit. Like, that was so it- messy. And to me, it felt like this is everything that I hate about watching, like, you know, teen, like, you know, teen shows and stuff. I don't care. I don't, this is the least interesting thing about all of this. And I get that it's messy. And I get all of this. And I love that Mako's ex-girlfriends got together at the end because he sucks. But, like, <laughs> I, yeah. I literally, like, was just, like, so bored. And it was so cringy to me that... Well, it- it's also just the fact that it felt so juvenile. Like, even just yeah. for a kid's show, and I know that, like, the other one, like, Avatar didn't feel as juvenile, even with, like, the jokes and stuff, but just them being like, oh, well, I loved you, and, like, the missed glances and the walking in on a kiss, and, like, I how many times kiss- is yeah. one of them going to walk in on the other kissing, and, like, I have amnesia, and I forgot we broke up. Like, I just, okay, yes, but also, it's a lot, and it feels it feels a mess. It feels unnecessary. It's icky. You know what? Yeah. And like, and I get that, like, your 20s are, like, not great. But, like, also, this story is not about that. And it's, like, and to me, that was just, that added a level that just took away from the overall meaning of the story, right? Because, like, Aang, like, okay, Tenson's family is incredible. I love them, right? Um, yeah. Uh, like, uh, love Asami, obviously. Love, like, I want more of these people, less of Mako, less of I don't give a well, shit about cops, whatever. Yeah. You know? True, truly, I think the only one believably who would be entangled in that kind of an interaction is Mako. He's the only one who would be, like, kind of silly enough and 
aloof enough to be like, whatever. I mean, even Bolin. I feel like a Bolin would get into one situation and be like, I'm actually good. Like, I get he's like the himbo. I get he's silly and kind of makes the wrong choices. Obviously, is will forever be one of the hottest characters in cartoon history I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, the, okay. They knew the, what they were doing when, those, when they animated those thighs. Like. The legs, <laughs> the legs in the 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 fur skirt. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> like I just like, what? Are you, kidding me? are you sure? Yeah. Like are you guys sure you're putting this out? Like this is acceptable. Ugh. But <laughs> <laughs> truly, oh my god, he's so hot. But I feel like Mako's the only one who believably would be entangled in that several times over. It, but, but like the fact that it just kept going was like. This is tired. I'm bored. Like, it's just mm-hmm. boring. It's too much. It's and too low. And he's an asshole. He's an asshole. And Mako why sucks. Does, yeah. I, why did Cora even want... He's a, he's an asshole. Like... Yeah. I, yeah. She wanted him because he was pretty. So, okay. So, when, when I look at season one now, I love them so much more than when I thought that this was all we got. <laughs> because I was like... Oh, yeah. like you're right it's incredibly uninteresting the like oh i wasn't with asami but uh, cora is here (laughs) she kissed me i met you (laughs) um like if anything like mako is kind of funny in that way because in a sense like he's playing like i think mako is more of a himbo than bolin honestly um because like mako he thinks he's like you know i'm a professional bender i'm gonna get this great life and oh my god there's beautiful women like me and like oh i don't even know what to do um but so i love them now when i go back and look at them because they're all just like little little babies like little seeds full of potential but all of them had spent their whole lives dreaming about some great potential, right? Like mm-hmm. she was going to be the avatar. And so she never had to think about like what she wanted to do in life. She's going to do avataring. Um, and <laughs> here, and like, li- like that's as yeah. specific as Cora was thinking season one. Like I'm yeah. going to go avatar. <laughs> A- avatar. Yeah. Ness business. Avataring. Yeah. Yeah, let's go yeah, with that. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. <cool. laughs> yeah, like I'm at some point, like she would be like surprised to find out that she doesn't get a salary or something. <laughs> do I wait like, for my paperwork here, or like well, where do I where do I sign? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so she's just like this little seed, and but like you know, like they say about seeds, like they have to like break open and explode to actually like find their potential, and that's one hundred percent what Cora does. Um, and so, like, yeah, I didn't mind all of the things because it's all of the romantic square thing. Because also looking back when you know how it ends, then you really, if you just focus on like, this isn't even about the boys, this is about what brings Korra and Asami together. Like they really were just there to bring Korra and Asami together. So even in that first season, like the time they go over Asami's house and she was like, oh, this beautiful woman is just boring. And then she was just like, <laughs> no. Like, 
like she had practiced like oh i'm gonna show her my race car and then she's gonna <laughs> like me yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and so like they might not have known what they were doing but they knew what they were doing yeah the the you could like even even going back and watching it again after knowing that they get together there's a vibe like yeah the way the way they interact the way they kind of look at each other or play off of each other or interact even in the moments where like Cora's mad at asami for being with mako like like even that tension has nothing to do with him the tension is theirs like yeah. it exists for them like yeah. the only thing she would ever be threatened with with Asami is that she's beautiful. Like Korra is the avatar. She knows that that means everyone's gonna love her. She can just choose lovers whenever she wants. Yeah, and does. Um, and but no, like she was like this. This beautiful woman is more powerful than me. <laughs> <laughs> And she just doesn't get it. Um, But it's, yeah, there's a vibe. And Asami is, like, without her, the team avatar wouldn't work. They can't fucking drive a car. Like, there's (laughs) this. Um, She's so capable. And, like, she doesn't fall into that, like, beautiful but, like, bad. Or, like, you know, when, uh, like, a lot of TV shows try to make feminists, like, bad or like she has no smarts or anything she is gorgeous she is capable she even though she doesn't know what she's doing when she takes over her dad's business she's determined she's gonna she's gonna see a challenge and she's gonna go for it head on with whatever resources she has available to her you know and like originally when they thought of the character asami that she was going to be like uh, a spy she was going to be working both sides and then they decided to back off of it and like and you can kind of see that in how like they style her in some ways Mm -hmm. but i think it was absolutely beautiful when like they were searching her father's um underground secret warehouse and she's like literally this rich girl that like yeah she's always had what she wanted whatever she wanted but uh, like that doesn't mean she's a slouch she's not an idiot but see like she was like oh my fucking god like there's a warehouse down here like Mm -hmm. these police have found something in my house that i thought i knew everything about and I thought I knew everything about my father, who's the only one I have left. And like, and Mako's doing his stupid Mako thing. He thinks he has <laughs> to be like, oh, it's so patronizing when he's like, no, I will see for you. And then I'll come back and tell you what's happening. Hard and I roll. love that she like says, okay. And then later she's like, wait, no, what the fuck? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go see on my own like that was some bullshit like i've been dating this guy for a few weeks he's yeah. gonna tell me about my own father's evil lair yeah <laughs> and goes uh... anyway because she was never tripping over mako and like i even think like their connection it was always like there was nothing under it it was just like you know you're you're very pretty too yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so we're, we're just pretty people in proximity. That's it. Yeah. Basically. That's all it is. Let's be pr- like pretty near each other. Are. Yeah. yeah. Like in the early 20s. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, like when she like went to go see for herself because she knew she had to see for herself. I really loved that moment for Asami. Um, mm-hmm. And like literally in the like that first season, she had to also see her father try to kill her. Straight yeah. up, yeah. Yeah, like saw the murder in his eyes. And yep. was like, this is my father trying to yeah. kill me right now. Mm-hmm. Well, also, like you said, the last person she has left, too. Not only is it just her dad, but it's literally her only other family, her only source of, like, fundamental foundation. Her person, The person who she cares about the most is like, oh, no, I'm for sure going to kill you. And she's like, oh, well, my life's a lie, for sure. Like, everything <laughs> is different now. Like, wow. I right. have nobody. I guess I'll just recontextualize everything about my life in perspective. This sounds yeah. great for me. Yeah. 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 And like, so she like, she takes the trauma. She sees like, oh, this is traumatic. This is yeah. traumatizing me. This is a lot. This is a lot of stuff. Like, whoa. Like, Ooh, I do not want to be me later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but okay. So that's another thing that I think makes Asami make sense then. And, like, the creators did say that, like, they did, like, they had half a hope once they decided she wasn't going to be a spy. The half, they had half a hope, like, could this be a love interest? Maybe. Will they let us do that? No, they won't let us do that. But maybe they will if we. And so I really do think that they set her story up really well, actually. Because mm-hmm. even when she, like, she falls back into Mako's dumbass arms. <laughs> in season two um it's it's kind of like oh shit like i've been running this business and i'm not doing well um what the fuck is happening i need something to keep me from drowning when's the last time i felt safe and then mako's dumbass shows up (laughs) truly like the relationships with Mako both from Korra and Asami they felt very like there was nothing to them like you were saying and I think that's part of why like I like I don't mind that they were there I just minded how much time we spent on them and how much dialogue was spent (laughs) on them because like I mean cool like I love that this is a nothing relationship and that you're contextually going and showing how bad they are for each other like at so many different turns like where Korra goes missing and then Mako all he could think about is Korra and he's not even paying attention to his like his girlfriend to Sami at that point right and she like and he doesn't tell her things and he's pissed off at Bolin for telling her about the kiss and she's like look that's not what this is about fuck you um and so I don't uh I don't like that he got another chance after all of that but like again like you're saying like felt safe like you know the like the last time she felt safe was when he and he was trying to take care of her and say like hey I'm gonna go you don't need to see your dad like this uh but she she had to see it anyway right like you said oh yeah but then like even when Mako's with Korra like most of the time they fight, (laughs) you know? And he doesn't know what to say to her because she's the avatar, right? Whereas, like, you know, um, like, Asami and Korra are just 
badass in their own right and neither one of them has to try to pretend that they're better than they are and neither one of them has anything that they have to make up for so like they when they talk they're on the same level or you know when like um it's not like mako who's just like yeah well i thought that's what you wanted to hear right like you you want me to tell you you don't want me to tell you uh, like, <laughs> nobody can be real with Korra, you know, um, because they're either trying to protect her or just trying to agree with her or manipulate her for whatever they want. But Asami has just as much autonomy as um, as Korra, and she's never trying to get Korra to do anything. She's oh. always just kind of like, we both okay, exist. We're both here. Let's I got you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that that is also one of those, like, kind of, um, undercurrent themes that they're teaching these generations of people about that, like, you know, like, you shouldn't base your relationship off of, like, this pretty face or because it should make sense or because I liked them for so long. Of course, it's, we're meant to be together and, like, they're the only man sometimes I know. the answer is no. And maybe, like, it would be so much better if you based a relationship, whether it's romantic or just friendship, on this person has my back. I don't have to worry about it. Like, and together we accomplish great things that we didn't think that we could do. Yeah. That is so much more beautiful for your romantic relationships than just, like, Ooh, he's a cute boy and he's on TV and Yeah. Yeah. Well, just a a general understanding and effortlessness that like like even in just the friendship itself, like this it's it should feel easy. It should feel like this like with, with Kor and Asami, it's like they understand each other too. There's not any sort of like theatrics about it. There's no performance of it. It's I'm this, you're that, we're here, what's mm-hmm. up? Whereas anytime Mako's there, there is a uh, a sort of like a toxically masculine machismo that he's constantly performing, which is like everyone just kind of has to put up with now because here's Mako in the room performing everything. Um, and it's because yeah. he has like he has no autonomy and he sure he's a good firebender, but he literally has nothing and he has nothing to add to the conversation and he has nothing. And here's yeah. two incredibly powerful women in their own right, you know, yeah. that literally do not need him so he is performing whatever he can to try to make himself seem more important you know yeah um and to mako's credit i think he does completely recognize like oh i don't bring what i thought i brought to this situation and um, and definitely, I love that they leave him single for a really, really long time. Yeah. Um, I love that he does reflect on like, well, I was really bad at this. So I stopped doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was an idiot and I hurt people that I care about. And so I haven't done it. And so I've just been learning about myself. And so like, like he is doing what so many people, especially of the male persuasion, yeah. don't usually do, and they don't show characters doing it. It's just like, oh, another pretty girl will come along, and this one will like you more and will give you more of what you need, and yeah. you'll totally forget about that one. And we're like, 
no, like all characters should have that time to really reflect like, well, what do I really want? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that. I just like was so mad at him. Yeah. I was like, (laughs) but he, he eats crow. Like he does. Um, And so that's, that is what redeems Mako in my eyes because I know I was like, you're going to suffer a whole lot more because of this thing you're not able to do, but that's, life and at least you're honest and trying to do the right thing yeah yeah um how do we feel about Um, the villains i know that we wanted to get into the villains of this series more i love all the villains so much i i love them and i feel like um i feel like cora like just overall does the thing that uh does the do the thing fucking varic Ugh. okay sorry We'll talk about. <laughs> Speaking of s- silly men, um, anyways, um, no, but the villains. So they all have valid arguments and valid, like you know, um, concerns, right? So um, the equalists, right? The equalists want. Um, we've already talked. They want everybody to be equal. They uh, bender supremacy, right? Absolutely. The Avatar's first words to them, you know, like, do we need to say more? Um, and then also, like, thinking about it, too, all of the cops are all metal benders, right? They are all benders. And if you do not have metal bending, you're just pushing paper. You're just doing this. So the metal benders can literally, like, decide whatever the fuck that they want to do, you know? And they use that against the people. They literally impose a curfew on non-benders and all of this. So um, so I... I do think that there was a lot of credence to, especially their argument. But the the reason why we're told that it's bad is because they kill people, you know, or you yeah. know they take away people, like they take away people's bending against their will. And like I, I really hate when like when villains have a really, really good, compelling argument, mm-hmm. and then you know. All of a sudden, uh, like, we can't listen to them and we have to invalidate their arguments because they don't respect human life. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really, um, I think that's really tiring and really old. Yeah. Yes. I like it just in terms of adding nuance to a character for for conflict, like just creating the, oh shit, do I like, am I here on the side of the bat? Like, Am I on the bad side? Like, they have a good point, and they bring about a lot of good things. I mean, I do think you can get more creative than just, like, oh, well, they're, like, right in every other aspect, but they do kill people, so let's, like, mm, that's the only one thing. I feel like it could be more nuanced. Like, with all of this nuance of, like, good ideas, have the same sort of nuance of bad ideas on the other side instead of the finite end-all-be-all murder. Mm-hmm. You know? I thought that the... um that. Um, Amon is that the his name? Yeah, Amon. Yeah, yeah. I that was fucking terrifying. That idea of being able to take people's bending away and like and just like the the support. Like he was an absolute terrifying villain, and I was so Mm. I was um, really shocked when he was gone. With especially after coming off of Avatar, right where we had the same main bad guy for the whole thing. I was like, oh. Amon is our guy. 
fuck yes, I'm here for this. And for him to just be done after the first book, I was like, damn, okay. Like, um, but he was terrifying. Just that whole thing, that whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. I agree that the Equalists were a really great part of that first season. Um, because again, it it continues with that theme of let's present children with these very complex um, socio-political issues. Like we've already shown them about like, you know, the the stupid rigid divisions of class and like bossing say and they were able to see like no that's not right um we shouldn't be like that and i can see all the ways that we're like that um and that i do i wish they made certain choices for i guess like just to make this plot go forward but I do wish that there was more um breakdown of like what you said like if everybody in power was a bender and you're a non-bender like that is an oppressive system like there's no way that those powers are not abused Mm -hmm. um like even if like you know there are brilliant absolutely brilliant non-benders like there's no way that's not abused um and so i do wish that they they talked more about that like i like they made that little leap from one to two where they're like oh but then we elected a president and was like okay sure (laughs) yeah um but Um, but like what I said, like what is disappointing is how much they rely on like the important people to know are the police chief and all the police. And it makes yeah. sense that Mako then wants to become a detective. Yes. Police good. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Well, what's also strange is that they kind of did it in the vein of like Toph's legacy. I hate Which that. I thought was so wild was like, yeah, okay, the police chief is like, Toph's kid and it's like her statue is in front uh, and Uh Toph before her I'm like really Toph was just a Toph didn't care like yeah is that right are we I think that that? they could have kept everything the same and made Toph be like just a badass and then like her daughter wanted her attention by becoming the chief of police like that could have made sense too more than Toph who has been fucking the system since day one Truly, mm-hmm. that made it, it kind of was just like because to me, I was like, oh, well, there's a level of conversation as far as like legacy is concerned. Once somebody passes and then tarnishing of that legacy through whatever means the people who are speaking of that person use it for. But Toph was still alive. <laughs> like Toph was very much like, I'm still here. What's up, everybody? I know I live out in the woods now, but like I still exist. Uh, so it's it's hard to like reconcile even the possibility of that because like Toph still strong as fuck she still exists like she hasn't really gone anywhere apart from just she's out in the woods now like yeah you know what i mean like i i feel like if this was real life (laughs) (laughs) toff would have also had a long history of dissident uh opinions and um yeah and in general being someone that like no one could boss around i could also see 
like, you know, coming right off the heels of inventing metal bending and they're trying to remake the world, I can see her kind of falling into that role. Like, mm -hmm. you know, because what, like, what position of power does Toph actually have? Like, you know, yeah. Um, Katara and um, Sokka are still kind of like, they're not prince and princess, but like they are higher ranks in their water tribe. Yeah. Um, you know, like Zuko is the fire lord. Like she's the only one who didn't really have like a title title. And she could have fallen into it. Yeah. I mean, it also is true because like her whole thing was getting away from her rich past or sort of her like being beholden to this idea of wealth and of upper class and of stature. Like, I am not that. I don't want to be that. You don't know me. You can't control me with this. That's not my narrative. I'm crafting my own path. Like that's that's the deal. So, yeah, I can I can see her kind of falling into that. But I do I, I do think like you'd said, like for somebody who our first introduction to her is her at literally an underground fighting ring. She is blind and she is the prodigal fighter in this place where people are like, are you fucking serious? Like this little girl is the one to beat. How is that possible? Like, so there's just that level of radicalism that she already like, that's her, our introduction to her is just, she is this radical character for her to then be the face of the cops yeah. in, in New Republic. And, She's like, yeah. Oh, so like, queen. She, yeah, she, yeah. especially like in Avatar, she's like, yeah, let's break some rules. She seems the yeah. most angry about like, oh, we went to this place with all these fucking rules. They're yeah. going to try to rule our life. She Why lives... don't you see this? <laughs> she you lives in the gray area. Than I am. <laughs> more than anybody, she lives in the gray area. And it's like, why would she be the person to yeah. uphold the law when she herself <sighs> is so horny to break it? And she doesn't yeah. give a shit. She does <laughs> not give any shit. So, like, I guess if we want realism, that does make sense. But, like, I don't <laughs> like that for Todd. That, <laughs> the phrase, horny to break the law. <laughs> I love that. Honestly, I'm just horny to break the law. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, kind of all I'm here for. Like, get my you rocks off. Yeah. <laughs> get it? Oh, that's such a good pun. I, I love it. <laughs> Truly. Oh, that was not planned. No. <laughs> so good. Um, I love Tov. Fucking Tov rules, no. despite the the damning of her character written it. Yeah. Like, I just, ugh. What a gift to all of the little girls out there that were like, I don't like being fucking handled either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I could literally beat you up with my eyes closed, essentially. Like, I don't have to, like, I'm, you don't, you don't understand how capable I am. You don't get it. You don't, yes. you, you'll, like, you literally are not aware of how, how yeah. much I can take care of this. Like, yeah, and instead of internalizing that on herself, she was just like, I'm surrounded by idiots. My yes. parents oh. are idiots. All the adults I meet are idiots. They're never going to see my power, and that's always going to be an advantage for me. Yeah. And I'm just going to make these idiots feel idiotic for the rest of my life. Truly. Oh. And then because she didn't really... Her or process that she passed that on to her children you know so like speaking of generational I mean this show is incredibly generational right like um, this title gets passed down to this person passed down to this person right 
Um, but like in that same way, they do pass on their same trauma. Aang was the last airbender and carried that burden. And now that's Tenzin, you know? And so Tenzin's thing, his poor wife, Puma, uh, Pema, has to like repopulate the air nation. Like, and she's just like, I just want a normal ass like, kid. Man, just give like, me one. I pressure on your womb. Yes. Well, I, <laughs> that's, um, so another unpopular opinion, because lots of people don't like the storyline of Aang was a bad father. I loved that because I'm just like, yeah, I was like, of course he was not the same person as he was when he was a little 12-year-old rolling yeah. around in the snow. I was like, and it makes total sense to me. Like, he has dealt with this trauma of losing his whole people, his whole culture. And mm-hmm. literally he has to have babies for his culture to survive. And even with that, so going again to like, so bending has biological, cultural, everything. Like, you know, he had no choice in like falling in love with Katara, but Katara was always going to have her own little waterbender. She -hmm. was always going to. Like, there's no way her genes wouldn't be strong enough to have a waterbender. And yeah. so, like, now thinking back, so Aang has all of this pressure on his shoulders. Like, yeah, he might be doing all this cool stuff in the world, but all he really wants is his people back and to be able to relax and just be an individual. Um, so he's putting that pressure on his life. His first son, not a bender and Mm -hmm. had to deal with that expectation his whole entire life like imagine the moment you're born you're a disappointment to your father because Mm -hmm. you can't do what he needs to do yeah and then he has a little girl who of course is going to be a waterbender like her mother her mother is the best waterbender in the world and so like the last one he finally gets an airbender but now like it's like yay he's not the only one carrying this but now it's him and a baby you know while he's trying to put the world together about their childhood a little bit and i was just like no it makes sense because ang was probably like look this is my third and last child I need this child to take on our culture and like this child needs to make more airbenders. So like, not only did I have to deal with the incredible pressure of being the last one, this child will too. And so like, it makes sense that he put so much more into Tenzin because he had to depart an entire knowledge base to Tenzin. And, like, they talk about, like, Tenzin was always serious because, honestly, he was born to do his father's work. And in his eyes, he's nothing if he can't do this because it's literally been on him since before he was born. Yeah. And so it makes sense that he would neglect his other kids or see, like, well, you know, like, Katara has it or, like, um, yeah. And so I was like, no, it made, like, he was a bad dad. Like, yeah. he was like, the Avatar, he wasn't God. He couldn't be everywhere all the time. And he had one singular focus. And, like, if he didn't, there he would have died and airbending would have died with him. 
that kind of pressure, of course he's a neglectful father. Yeah, he can't be everywhere and do everything. And at the same time, like, while he's trying to impart his whole culture that, you know, uh, uh, the whole culture of airbending, he also is trying to literally reshape the world and, like, you know, create peace between the four nations and create this, like, foundational framework upon which will outlast him and his whole, like, literally at the same time as trying to be a father. So, like... I can't imagine, like, having to carry that burden of being the last of your people and to hold all of that cultural significance in addition to being the savior of the world and reframing, literally, like, reshaping the the societal foundations of the entire world. One of those jobs is enough. Not, like, let alone yeah. all of that. <laughs> and so, like let Aang be a human being too mm-hmm. like a human being can't do all of those jobs well all at the same time mm-hmm. yeah and yeah so it, it makes sense and in fact like I love it so much more for his character because it, it's boring to just have a character like oh they were always perfect and they did all of this yeah. their family felt so deeply loved by them and yeah. they were able to do all of these things like no that doesn't exist well just think- also for a world that really accentuates and 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 fixates on that idea of humanity and on that idea of just like flawed character to enter this version of the story chorus story and seeing like the literal ang statue of liberty in new republic city and like the lore of ang and the 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 wow ang really did it ang 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 for us to have seen Aang and be like, yeah, Aang's great. And wow, Aang's great. And then for one of his kids to be like, hey, no, it kind of fucking sucked. <laughs> like, it was really, really hard. He was not the best. And being like, wait, what? Just giving credence to that, the idea of, like you said, being a human. Like, let him be human for a second. Like, Yeah, and I doubt, like, he probably never said anything mean to to no. or, or any of his kids he probably never did anything like that but like imagine like you know even as adults people are like oh ang had other children like that sucks oh, yeah. yeah truly think about them getting that as children and so eventually yeah. being like let's not go on those trips with dad anymore because everyone thinks we're just some random people around it's <laughs> this is going to be very silly. It's like Caitlin Olsen up until the last five years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Essentially, where like she shows up sometimes and she's the other sister. She's not Mary Kate yeah, or like, Ashley. Oh, she just it's like oh, you mean they have another sibling? That's weird. <laughs> oh, we not Caitlin Olsen. Elizabeth. Um, what is wait Elizabeth Olsen? I'm sorry, Elizabeth. Yeah, Caitlin was, Olsen like, is I... not related. Yes, Elizabeth Olsen. <laughs> my bad but yes see still messing it up see i know (laughs) this furthers the point (laughs) exactly oh gosh but you know what i mean like just i mean granted as if she had never like had that success there is a level of like oh I'll, i'll never be them i'll never be i'll never be the one that is acknowledged as being the one who is kind of carrying on the legacy especially not being able to bend, especially not being an airbender, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I have one more. So this is another one of my head cannons that just makes so much sense. It must be true. Okay. So on this subject of the future of the air nation, 
and Tenzin's relationship with Lin Beifong. So we know that like, you know, they're friends since they're kids. They probably always kind of like fell into these romantic places because like, man, my dad is a big deal and it sucks. Yeah, man, my mom is a big deal and it sucks. Like that's a natural place to build a relationship off of. And like, so say like, I could totally see them being a couple, but everyone being like, how are you with her? all the time, but like Tenzin being the one being like, no, like that's my girl, whatever, whatever, whatever. But Tenzin knows that he must be the father of the heir nation. He has no choice. Remember his father married an incredibly powerful waterbender and he only got one airbender kid out of it. He has to know, and more importantly, Pema, has to know yeah but if he marries her and they have kids she's gonna have some earthbender kids like she's from a powerful line of earthbenders of course his kids are always going to have a chance of being earthbenders but he can't afford that his dad only had one airbender so my theory is pima who realizes this, Pema, who, you know, left her home to be one of the acolytes and probably has decided to devote her life to rebuilding the airbender culture, knows, like, you know, she's not going to give him airbender children. But here I am, immersed in the culture. I have the culture down. That's another thing that's going to help us have some airbender babies. And I bet she mentions that to him or makes sure that he knows that and so it only takes that for Tenzin to be like I do have to have a bunch of airbender kids yeah and I'm never gonna have a whole bunch of them with Bayfog like one is she even gonna let us have kids (laughs) you don't even know she might not even be into it and then again I die the last airbender yeah. And so yeah. we talk, they talk about how, like, when they broke up, Beifong went off and specifically was going after Pema. I was like, I bet she found out Pema said that shit to him. <laughs> but she like, went to her man and was like, yeah, she's nice. But if you're going to fulfill your legacy and your father's dreams for your life. Okay. That's a really good point. I'm also, uh, when they were doing all of the love triangle stuff with them, I was like, why can't they just be a thruple? Why can't that be a thing? I mean, like, sure, yes, babies, like, I like all of that makes sense, really but like, though. could you? She is. Yeah. How well, did she could have you? such cool kids? Like, because, like, Janora, man, Janora is incredible. Love her. Could, could you I imagine? I cried when she got her tattoos. I cried oh. so hard. Oh my God, that scene was so All of us. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, incredible. Was not a dry eye in the house. Gorgeous. <laughs> uh, just thinking about not it right in, now. Not in real well, life, not animated. <laughs> before, I, I do think, how wild would it have been if they introduced polyamory as an idea also? Like, amazing, gorgeous. I love it. Like, yes. But I do also want to bring up, this is super tangential, but even... The first episode when they're introducing and like 
Katara shows up and you see the Aang statue and it's like this whole lore. I very much was like tearing up like, oh, wow, like life went on and they lived and like a whole lifetime was had. And here we are. And it's just like even thinking about that, I'm like, wow, like that's so impactful and so powerful and meaningful and just like heavy. It's just like it just is. And that's so beautiful, you know, like, oh. So thinking, yeah, just the introduction of those characters in this new world where they still exist, but it's much later. You're just like, man, like time really just does pass. Like that is so wild. Anyways, I and I choked up just in the introduction <laughs> of these characters again. And again, I didn't even watch the whole series. I'm just like watching yeah. these endings and then like, like yeah, they're like 100 now. And it's just, <laughs> they have kids <laughs> and shit and they're dead. And oh gosh, oh, <laughs> like, okay, great. There's so much. <laughs> I mean, Aang is the only one dead right now. No, but, I know. Yeah, but yeah. Well, just but like uh, seeing what they made, seeing like seeing their work and what they made at the end by the end of their lives, and like knowing life goes on and that they've done all of this and they've built all of this framework is just like, I definitely cried. I cried. Yeah, I cried a lot. Just, yeah. It, oh, yeah. It's just so good. And then, oh my god, oh my god, Uncle Iroh in the spirit world. <gasps> Excuse me? I, I audibly screamed when he like came. I was like, they're fucking doing it! Yeah, like, oh my god, there's no way that that's happening. Like, I guess we'll just never hear from him. He's like, hey, y'all, yeah. I've been here the whole time. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, okay. This too? <laughs> yeah, oh my god. And, what? like, oh, they do it so perfectly. Like, they give us, like, that first glimpse when Korra is in, and you're like, well, you know, that's because, like, Korra is the avatar. Of course her spirit would get to meet all the cool spirits in the spirit world. But then they give us a little more later, and a yeah. little more later, and it's just like, he's just, he's everywhere. He's like... He's so good. It really, oh, like... with us? Yeah. Always. Uh, and, I mean, I just... On top of him being so good and redemptive and just gorgeous and lovely, um, I will fully say, and I should have brought this up in the Avatar, but um, full, full childhood crush, full on, big daddy energy, um, obsessed. Like, because, and I don't know what episode it was, but it's very early on. It might be one of the first episodes. When he's in the hot spring... <laughs> like bye i'm leaving i can't just what 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 do you want me and then the way that they shot the rocks like the rocks come up his crotch and like cover him and he's like whoop i was like okay i'm 12 <laughs> i don't know <laughs> what is Can you move that rock a little yeah bit? <laughs> what is, what's what is this why um okay cool <laughs> like uh obsessed obsessed with him obsessed with him here's another connection I made between um, between the two shows. So that exact episode, so that probably would have been one of the episodes I chose because of that oh. moment when Iroh and Zuko are fighting the earthbenders. If you notice, Iroh doesn't firebend at all in that fight. He doesn't. He's just working with the chains. And oh. Later in Korra, um, once uh, Boomy is bragging and he was like, did I ever tell you about the time that I won a rock throwing contest with 
uh, earthbenders. And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I was like, mm, but Iroh actually did that. He, he yeah. won a rock throwing contest against some <laughs> earthbenders. And I was like, you know what? Like, I can see him telling that to like little, little Boomy and being like, really like so i can do things like that Aww. even though i'm not a bender and he'll be like yeah benders they have weaknesses yeah and just like and so that personally is one of my favorite parts of iroh and i was like yeah he beat those freaking earth benders and didn't even have to fire bend at all yeah well uh, what a what a treat i didn't even notice that yeah what a treat uh, that go back and rewatch that episode because that whole fight is perfect. Yeah. Uh, Iroh has the perfect like one liners for those earthbenders. Um, yeah. Like the earthbender saying like, uh, you guys should give up. You're clearly outnumbered. And he was like, yes, maybe so, but you're clearly outmatched. And, yeah. like, and then he embarrassed them by not even firebending. So fucking cool he's Damn. just uh, i'm obsessed he's with the him best. i'm obsessed with him and it just his love for tea oh uh, we could have just like gotten into it was just like he's just he just is like apart from his awful war criminal past like obviously he's a monster but his growth is so evident and palpable and true and pure and genuine and kind like he is just there's so many good characters but like just his love is so real. His earnestness is so real. It's just so like, it's so visceral. He he exists in this awesome way. I don't know. I love him. Also, he's hot. Yeah. <laughs> so so hot. All of it. Uh, all of the whole thing. When but he busts out of that prison. Oh 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 my god. Okay, I know we did. We didn't even touch this. Him <laughs> fucking pull ups in that fucking <laughs> prison. And him like hiding how Buffy is until that moment, and you're like, because it's like, I mean, uh, also going back to like they drew those legs like that. He is a thick, thick muscle. Like he's a thick man on top of being muscular. So it's like the the in between of being like husky and strong. If that isn't <laughs> literally everything, yeah. my god, my god, oh my god. Love him. What an absolute treat. Especially because, like, those are the moments, too, when Cora is, like, at her lowest, right? Like, from all of the trauma that she's gone through to try to save the world. Like, literally, like, arguably, she has been through the most trauma from, like, you know, getting her bending taken away in the first uh, the first one. And then having to deal with, um, uh, what's his name, in the second one. Unalak, yeah, her uncle and oh, Batu yeah. and stuff, right? And then uh, being poisoned and then just like going through all of these things and like still, even though she's the avatar, like doubting herself, like and being so low and feeling and literally becoming so small and he just finds her and is just like, he says those words and it just like, I cry every time I think about it because it's just, it is like, I feel like yeah. those are the words that I say to myself when I feel small. And when I go to that place, you know, like uh, the, with the writing they have for Iroh specifically, it's, it's always that like, 
bigger self talking to smaller self like hey it's okay being comforting and just being like you're safe and you're gonna make it through this you're valid and look for the light you know just oh yeah yeah yes I love, too, that, like, with every single season, like, here, it felt like the stakes could not be higher. It felt like, like, we are losing Korra. We are losing the Avatar. We are losing this thing. And it, in doing that, it subverted, like, our expectations as the viewer while it's also, you know, subverting uh, Korra's expectations of herself. You know, she has this imposter syndrome. She has, like, all of this trauma and with like you know and she's you know for a long time she's disconnected from who she is supposed to be from the avatar from this right and she like then she unlocks that and she thinks that's it she's like okay cool now i'm good and then it's not until she starts seeing her inner power thanks to tenzin's words right and letting that sink in that she really realizes that she is still like avatar is not her like, that is not who she is. She is Korra. Avatar is literally just a descriptor for something about her, right? Um, and I think that there's so much power in that because, you know, we tend to think of ourselves like no matter what kind of career you're doing, no matter what, um, you know, we all have these descriptors that we associate with ourselves, right? So graphic designer, a videographer, um, you know, office administrator you know like whatever and we put or you know or nerd or this or that and we put so much um so much weight into those descriptors that sometimes it's hard to remember that we are something out like daughter mother this that these are not just that does not take the place of your name and of your personhood that is literally a descriptor for you because you contain multitudes and you contain so much more than just this one descriptor right and these things are constantly in flux and they're constantly changing and some descriptors fall off some get bigger some are added some you know uh don't serve you anymore and so you you get rid of that right and that's something that we see cora do is when something isn't serving her she moves past it um and there's uh there's so much power in seeing that and in seeing somebody who is literally supposed to be the avatar and that's their whole job to like while Cora is having to recontextualize what that means to herself we're also doing that as the viewer because she is still Cora she is still who she is but like you know um it's really interesting because like all of the previous avatars before Aang weren't told they were the avatar until they were probably Cora's age right until like you know when we meet her but then Aang finds out and it's a whole thing and then when Cora finds out she's super tiny right again mastered all four or had all four elements which you know Aang totally didn't have when she was like you know um when she was a little baby and so like then she is literally groomed and hidden from the world to be the avatar because that is that's who she is that is her importance that is you know people treat her as the avatar first and as Korra second and so even um now kind of having that in mind thinking about the love triangle or a square like that's the only time when she was Korra first and not the avatar first right and so it makes sense why she was so messy and why there was so much um 
uh, so much trial and error and why she was putting so much weight onto these relationships that we don't give a shit that don't matter. And it's because that's literally the one thing that doesn't have to deal with her being the avatar. Yeah. Um, speaking of the love story, um, I loved what you said about like Cora was realizing that she was trying to be all these other things besides herself. Um, I think that absolutely mirrors where Asami is in second season two. Like she was just like, oh, well, there's Mako. Maybe, maybe that'll work now for some reason, even though it wasn't working before. Like trying to be this, trying to be her father. And all of it was just like too much pressure. And then like at the end, finally she's called back into team avatar and she was like oh this feels better like you know saving the world that makes more sense to me oh i feel better being around my friends just being around this energy again um and if you notice like after season two after the events like asami moves in she's like you know i'm kind of sick of like being single lady in this giant house i want to be around family i like i know i need to be around these people because when i'm not i do stupid stuff and and so asami's just like uh fuck it i'm gonna move in with my best friend that i like a lot and (laughs) and know that that is better for me personally and emotionally (laughs) oh man And we're back. So we have a lot to say about Avatar and Korra, um, as you know. Um, (laughs) I think it's safe to say we all loved it, but let's hear from everybody. Oh, Um, yeah. Eric, for Avatar, The Last Airbender, who was this for? Honestly, just like everybody. I feel like that's just, I don't think, like it has so many entry points for so many different kinds of people so absolutely unequivocally everybody yeah Yeah. what about you amber uh agreed just like for everybody and so people still think i'm crazy or something when i try to tell them i was like no like you should really check out this cartoon it's just like it's that good and one day my friends will let me explain all the ways like you know i have ways of connecting it to how i do research it's it like you said like there are so many entries that it's for everyone and that is what makes the show itself a legend yeah Mm -hmm. what other show appeals to literally everyone and have something substantive for literally everyone I totally agree. There's so many different levels that you can literally watch it and just have it on in the background or watch it intently or watch it with like a two-year-old or like, you know, an 80-year-old and everybody could get something different from it and watch it multiple times and still get new things from it. So yeah, I agree. E for everybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Eric, did you like it? I loved it. It's, it's shining achievement on Nickelodeon's career. On just cartoon history, what a treat, what a joy, what an absolute triumph. Yeah, 100%. Amber? Yeah, uh, what Eric said again. Um, 
like I joke sometimes, but then like I sit back and I was like, though that makes sense. Uh, like that there is, like I said, like this church of Avatar, like there's this um, very spiritual, almost religious feeling that I have for it, where it's just like, this is a place where I have, you know, been able to work through some painful, painful things. And it has been a beautiful experience. And so now, like, as I go through life, there are lessons from it that I take and apply to new things that I in, encounter. And so I, like, I joke about it, but at the, mostly because, like, you know, I was raised to be, like, you know, there's very Christian. And I'm just like, it's not a religion. I was like, but it kind of would check all those boxes yeah got technical about like what religious um (laughs) things people do i'm just like you could say that this is like a church of avatar in a way yeah yeah i agree i really love this show i love that not only is there that like deeper element to it where like you know like you said like you can really read into this and it can help you process um a lot of what's going on no matter where you are in your life but also like just it's a visually stunning show too like and so creative not just in the way that they um that like you know the character design and how like the elements represent the way that each character deals with emotions right and how they process it like Toph like you know bottles everything up and like buries it underground like uh like Katara it ebbs and flows and it's you know just there's there's so much to that you know um and like it's also visually stunning where like the the battles are like so well thought out and so incredible and so like it no battle is the same it doesn't feel like air punchy which Korra did it did feel just kind of like boom okay here we go but um but this one just there was always a really new and exciting way that every bender was using their abilities that like blew me away um and just like you're seeing what it looks like for restorative justice and to reconcile these um these really big hard questions um and like you know your past like at the same time you're learning what how to do that and what that looks like and that it's okay like unlearning biases challenging ourselves and leaving behind that that doesn't serve you you know like change is okay and um seeing what healthy relationships look like and um yeah i think i i love avatar so much i yeah i cannot sing its praises highest higher enough (laughs) high enough (laughs) what about cora eric um was it new progressive and interesting progressive regressive how has it evolved with today's ideals oh i think it was like a plus across the board just in general like i think it took the source material created this entire new narrative around that source material arguably as we discussed earlier possibly even made it better or just like by recontextualizing what was already there with these new elements and new characters it really just shaped the world and gave more color to an already colorful landscape you know Mm -hmm. like it just it it was yes to everything you just said (laughs) truly like it just it did everything so well it did everything so well yeah 100 percent. what do you think amber yes uh especially having like the real memories of all the like 
will they, won't they? Are they going to give us a gay couple? Like, is that for real? And if they like have given us a gay couple, are we actually going to see it? Are we going to yeah. be able to see their intimacy or like how far are they going to push it? And like I said, like I was totally right. I told everyone I knew, I was like, <laughs> no, it's gonna be Cora and Asami. I'm telling you, it only makes sense. If not, the, Asami's not here for any reason, really. Um, and and like, and it just it works, and it's so it's such a beautiful place to take it, where they yeah. gave us this bit like cocky avatar that was like turning us all off as like us avatar purists and we're like well, that's not how Aang did it and <laughs> they took like that girl that raw girl and turned her into this amazing character that you do step back in and are in awe of and like they show the characters being in awe of her and as fans were also in awe of her and be like, that's the legend. Like, you know, yeah. she started off as like this stupid kid and through lots of hard lessons, she became this amazing person. And that is, it's just tops for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I could have said that any better. Like, uh, like, retweet everything that you just said because (laughs) holy shit like I mean like yeah like she does kind of start off as just like this this raw talented kid right and we slowly see her like through like you know get remolded in the fire time and time again and have to recontextualize what she is to herself and she saves the world from not just one bad thing but from 84 bad things right she opens another fucking spirit portal like we didn't even get into season four but she's so powerful that she literally opens a spirit portal and it's just like no i'm gonna leave this open we're gonna learn how to how to live you want balance this is fucking balance so she fucking like Aang saved the world like from total destruction and she reshaped and recontextualized it. Yeah. Um so yeah, it was women. the power of women, right? Like yes. ugh, uh, like look at how many women we had in power in this. Literally like uh like um the Bay Fongs, right? And then we have like uh just like um the the earth queen who uh rest in peace even if she's oh, uh awful oh my gosh. um the way that she died was just awful um but like because we didn't even get into that but like but yeah just like seeing so many powerful women and so many powerful women like shaping the world for good for bad for you know for whatever but having that autonomy and being able to just be strong and not have like a dude attached to them like Bayfongs didn't have anybody and I love it you know like and they and that's never questioned and that's never looked down upon within the series right uh um Janora right like still we're we're putting so like we're giving young women the like this incredible power that not even the avatar has right like showing um just just such a good 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 show um and I love it so much. Oh, yeah. Eric, who was this for? Everyone, again. Literally everyone, again. Yeah. It's like, I mean, obviously it's for Avatar fans. Like, just base level, it's kind of like, hey, yeah, 
obviously we love it. Here's more. But even if you start at Quora, totally fine. Like you absolutely anybody can jump in whenever. It is for everyone unequivocally. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Amber? Yeah. I do see Cora as a more grown-up story. Mm-hmm. Like I honestly, you know, there of course are little kids that love Cora just as much. And so and I think like that's cool, but I feel like they're loving a show for that is really more for like young adults. Um, yeah. whereas like Avatar was very distinctly like, oh, this, this is a show for kids. Um mm-hmm. and but in even in that still believing that it is for everyone because like you said like it it doesn't make it less accessible um but i do think it's more decidedly adult yeah i think it's a little bit darker for sure yes oh yeah with a little bit heavy like heavier subject matter and maybe you know these ideas that um that more um, young adults or teenagers are having to deal with or having to think about, you know, where we're having to fundamentally figure out who we are and what we're doing and all of that, right? So so that's, um, I agree. I think that it can be E for everybody. Um, I think you will get more out of it if you watched the first Avatar series. But I do think that ultimately it's a more grown-up story within the Avatar universe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Did you like it, Eric? Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Amber? (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) I mean, we know the answer, but I don't want to speak for everybody. Like, yes, this is incredible. There's one last thing that's on my mind that I want to say about it is Vatu was also a very sexy character for me. Uh, (laughs) Yes. And so like, yes, I loved it because also that was a very sexy evil kite. And... (laughs) Like the what I was rewatching before we we um were doing this and just like there is there's I knew exactly the moment I realized I was like, Oh, I'm attracted to Vatu. Uh like when he's just like, I live ten thousand lifetimes before the first of your cr- kind crawled out of the mud. And I was Amazing. like, Ooh. Like, oh, that say that again. to hate me is to give me breath to fight me is to give me strength and i'm like Like, oh my god are we are we fighting should we should we should we go upstairs i don't know what we're doing here this is a lot like like, what is are we doing yeah what (laughs) there's something here right i hate them but like i'm very turned on by this Oh yeah, um, absolutely. So <laughs> that, that's my answer to did I love it? Yes, it it <laughs> transcended any boundaries I ever <laughs> thought to have for myself. It showed me such a beautiful way to go through life. Um, like this is more transitioning to my real answer. Um, but yeah, Cora for me, like. You know, there are some people that like would just like to take Avatar and I'm like, no, like my life was infinitely better because I knew this character and I got yeah. to see her, got to see how many times she was absolutely ripped apart and knew like this is the end for me. I'm done. 
and it wasn't over mm-hmm. it like it's just so like I'm choking up thinking about it um because there are so many like there's so many people that are living with trauma every single day and people act like it's something like you know you lose a parent and like that's really sad for a while and they don't think about like no like that's something you carry with you forever like someone violated you that's something you carry with you forever there's not a mourning period it's something that changes you and but it can also change you for the better it can make you stronger like it's going to really fucking hurt in between and you're going to be sure you're going to die and you're done but it's still like you won't even know your strength that it couldn't kill you even though it was literally ripping you apart it couldn't finish you that for me like yeah i needed that yeah what a um, fucking good world yes like so important to see that too and to see that like even no matter how much power raw power you have or like how revered you are that you still go through that and you still need time and you know there's three years where she processes the events of the first year and a half that we meet her you know and um it's it is not something like trauma is not something that ever goes away you know like all of these things and like you know, no matter who you think you are or how cool you think you are, like, it, like when you go through something so traumatic, you do have to take that time and learn how to live with that because nothing can take that away. You know, yeah, um, yeah I, um, I love that. Mm-hmm. And um, your healing process will have stages. Yeah. And you need support. You need people. Yes. You need to make sure that you have people that you feel safe around that are going to be there to pick you up, you know, um, and to just to just hold you, you know, and say, I I got you for however long, you know, but I'm here. Um, yeah, I love Cora. This is a, it's a great yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So let's. Um, Again, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Amber Jones, everybody. Give her a round of applause. Yay. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank we you. love you so much. We love um, you. Thank you for oh, taking the time, truly. There is one thing I didn't have last time that I do have this time is a plug. Ooh, yes. Um, yes. Uh, so check out um, my business that is called The Grind Organization. We create tools and online uh, resources specifically to help people do social justice work in their everyday lives, no matter what you do. Um, we've created The Grind Journal. Um, it will be available very soon. Um, but check out thegrindorg.com uh, and learn more about our Grind Journal and how we um, designed it specifically to do beautiful, creative social justice work. Awesome. Uh, we'll that. put a link to that in the show notes. That sounds incredible. Awesome. Thank you. I was <laughs> like, I, I, I should have like, love you anymore. Prepared a better like pitch for it. No, that's great. But- <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, check it out. It's like actually coming out and it exists. I have like a physical prototype of one. So we're 
I'm getting more comfortable with like, oh yeah, and I have a business. Yay. Check out thegrindorg.com and yeah, buy this journal. <laughs> yeah, true. It'll be Do available it. soon. Available soon. Gorgeous. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. We love you so much. Uh, don't forget to rate and review us on social media if you have not already. Check out our Patreon. Uh, go subscribe. It's very cheap. We have a whole other show on there called the Not Not Nostalgia Podcast where we talk about whatever's going on and or a companion piece to the episode, the weekly episode. It's gorgeous. Cheap is like $3 a month. You'll love it. You'll love it. You'll want it. you love our voices. Love us more. Thank you. <laughs> go check it out. And our artwork and music is by Eric Lefebvre. Editing is by Danny Barkley. And thank you again, Eric and Amber. Thank you, Jess and Amber. What a treat. Oh, I wanna, it's such a good you. show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And remember, stay cute. And stay critical. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Nostalgia Network. Visit the NostalgiaNetwork.com for more. You enter the dungeon and see the evil wizard pointing his wand directly at you. He says, Show me a funny and delightful actual play Dungeons and Dragons podcast, or I'll consume your souls! What do you do? I take out my phone and find Quest Friends Forever on Spotify. I show him how to find Quest Friends Forever on Apple Podcasts. I share the Quest Friends Forever Instagram and YouTube pages with him. And you all get critical hits! Yay! Quest Friends Forever is an actual play podcast starring four friends with varying levels of Dungeons & Dragons experience. Join us for new episodes every other Wednesday as we embark on fantasy adventures, play fast and loose with the rules, and laugh at each other's shenanigans. No prior D&D knowledge is required to listen, so everyone can feel free to join the fun. Quest Friends 4, that's the number 4, like how there's four of us, ever. Find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Quest Friends Forever.